Morning. Wayne. How's it going? Pretty good. We're waiting on Paul, but uh, Jonathan was ad- advising a three-way while we wait for, for Okay. And I was explaining to Jonathan that I like to be romanced, so. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You're so sexy. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All right, now let's do it. Aaron gets more turned on if you're loud. Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. And we're Funny Books United this week. We've got in one corner Wayne from Fear the Boot. Hey, Wayne. Hello. And back again also is Jonathan from Kicked in the Dice Bags. What's up? Okay, y'all need to fight it out now. <laughs> got a full house in here today. <laughs> and you know, because someone is inevitably going to drop the F bomb on the show. I'm I wonder gonna... who that would be. It'll, it'll be Wayne. Wayne cusses <laughs> like a sailor. It's, it's going to be Aaron because I've never cussed on this show. But Aaron, every time I'm on, Aaron will Aaron will drop uh, an f bomb. You know, you make me sound like such a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> so, should, should we just drop it now? Maybe each one of us could. <laughs> <laughs> Or not. Okay. Or not. Here we go. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I like to leave people wanting for my show. That's right. So. There you go. You know, last week on the show, I was talking about, uh, was it last week or week two weeks ago? I don't know. Whenever the hell Aaron, Wayne was on. That Whenever was the hell Aaron week. was on. Um, we were talking about Spider-Man mm. and how much uh, and I was- how much like the gauntlet sucked and whatnot? Yeah, how much the gauntlet sucked. And, how uh, much every Spider-Man book being published right now sucks. Yeah, um, Exactly. Except for Clone. I can't believe you didn't like the gauntlet, by the way. What? I liked it. Aaron, do you know how to drop Jonathan? Yeah, I can drop him. The sentence lives are not allowed on the show. So I've got one check for spoiler, one for the annoying person from JSA. Would this be one for Jonathan then? Yes. Yeah. I, let me just go ahead and add him to the board. Aaron hmm. heads the list. The list. You know, so I've been desperately searching out some good Spider Man, either in my long boxes or somewhere. And so I went and uh, picked up that Amazing Spider-Man Ultimate Collection by J. Michael Straczynski. Did anybody read J. Michael Straczynski's run on Spider-Man? I did. Oh, yeah, I did. No. No. It started off really good. Yeah, the beginning I, I, of the first arc or so wasn't bad. It just after that went really downhill really fast. Yeah, I, I, I was actually really surprised. I'm like, you know, I remember it being halfway decent. Um, but, you know, the the first – I think the Ultimate Collection collects the first three storylines – and they were all really good. And, you know, it was so funny because he, apparently he worked really hard to get Mary Jane back into Spider-Man. I mean, that's what I'm reading. Like, every issue is about trying to get Mary Jane back into the title. And, you know, of course, the last thing he did on the title before leaving was, you know, F that all up. That was one of the reasons I liked his first run is because I missed the character. I mean, he needs to be with her, which he isn't now. But, you know, that's one of the reasons I liked that run in the beginning. I, I think my problem with Spider-Man right now is just... The uh, the supporting cast just isn't clicking with me. I don't like it in Amazing Spider-Man. I don't like the status quo in Ultimate Spider-Man. 
You know, I can't tell you the last time I picked up uh, Spider-Man as a monthly. You know, I've read it in trade uh, every now and again, uh, usually checking it out from the library because I haven't bought a Spider-Man trade in forever. I know exactly the last time I picked it up. I dropped it when One More Day happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I picked it up. Well, I mean, I can tell you the last time I dropped Spider-Man as a monthly, and it's uh, every time I pick up. (laughs) <laughs> issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Let me let me let me come to uh, Spider-Man's defense here. <laughs> Spider-Man is a menace. <laughs> he is a menace, but you know Jonathan is a renowned Spider-Man apologist. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, no, Amazing Amazing Spider-Man is hit or miss, and I I guess when you're putting out three comics a month, uh, it's it's going to be more so than than the monthlies. Uh, for instance, I really enjoyed the, uh, chameleon, uh, story arc that Amazing Spider-Man had around the time I was first getting back into comics because it was all about the chameleon and it was actually, he was actually a pretty interesting character as opposed to what I remember about the chameleon being lame. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, that was good, but. After that arc wraps up, you know, then it's going to throw some crap at you. Then you might have a good issue. <laughs> you know, it's you never really know what you're going to get. With Amazing what do you Spider-Man. think of Web? What do you think of Web of now that it's out? Because I know they had that first arc in there. It didn't look bad as I was glancing through it, but I haven't read I it. I hated it. Yeah, Web of is crap. It, it's like side stories that just kind of support what's going on in Amazing Spider-Man. It doesn't really stand on its own. It's it's pretty much like... Yet it has better art than Amazing does right now. Well, that's because they have... Oh my god, the artist on Amazing right now. I'm surprised you like Amazing, considering you're all about... Or Jonathan, considering you're all about the, the big superhero art, and it's drawn like an indie book right now. <laughs> well, I think it's the it's the story that uh, really really got me because i've been i've been saying that uh you know i i want things to be a bit more simple in comic books rather than this whole conspiracy thing just having electro doing what he's doing and then spider-man trying to to you know get at him and stuff like that like i've i thought it was enjoyable i mean it, it's not it's not the best read out there but it was readable which is more than i can say for web of and uh Web of is on a is on a very short list of books that are so bad that even I can't read them, and I read everything. <laughs> I read everything that Marvel puts out except for four books. What are the four, four books that, are that bad? Web of Spider Man, Deadpool, Mark with a Mouth, Ooh, a uh, Ultimate Avengers, and Ultimate Spider Man. <laughs> you know, John, did you pick up? Uh, am I the only one who got the Son of Marvel reading chronology? No, what I in think the world that is up. that. It's a free. It was free. It's comic book sized, and I don't know. It, I guess it's around thirty pages or something. And it's um, it goes over X Men, Cable, Ultimate Spider Man, and it basically just gives you a list of the trade paperbacks, um, so that you can read the stories in order and get caught up. Uh, I think you know you're like ah, but I thought it was really cool. It's you know I started reading um, Immortal Iron Fist uh, based on this, you know, and I'm starting to get caught up on that and. I think I might have a new title to start picking up because I really love that title now. Uh, I've not seen it. Portal Iron Fist isn't isn't a current title though. Is it not? I thought no. it was. Did it, did it get canceled? I thought that was that was uh, still coming out. I don't know. Not I'm... not to my knowledge. I mean, if you look on Marvel's website for what they're putting out each uh, each week, I mean, they haven't put it out in, since I started reading comics. So 
I mean, maybe it is over. I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I finished the first trade paperback and I'm picking up the second uh, because I, I really enjoyed it. And it's by Brubaker and Matt Fraction. Yeah. And I was I like, like Brubaker. You know, how the hell did I not read this? You know? I mean, Brubaker sucks, but I like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, Jonathan, since you read pretty much everything Marvel, what would you say the best book Marvel's putting out right now is? Uh, well, I know we're going to talk about it today, so we'll we'll get to it when we get to it. Oh, uh, and I'll let you I'll let you know then, so I'll keep you I'll keep you uh, on edge. Well, that's in my case. We mentioned it last week. I think Avengers Initiative might actually be the best book they're putting out, and that oh, really shocks me to say that. I'm sorry, five books on Jonathan's list <laughs> <laughs> because I, I read I read uh, two issues of Avengers Initiative when I first got back into comics and. And dropped it off my pull list. Wow. See, and I will say, hands down, my favorite Marvel book is Secret Warriors. See, and and, and up to That's now, up to now, Thor has been my favorite Marvel book. Ooh, foreshadowing. Lots of foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get on with the show. Uh, yeah, some tells me Aaron and I are going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is Funny Books United, Jonathan. You see. <laughs> But, you know, like every team up, there has to be a fight first. That's right. Well, um, and along those lines, Image United, number one, came out last week. Is that right? Yeah. Last week. And we didn't get an opportunity to chat about it, so we thought we'd chat about it today. This will be the first in our series of Image United updates. Um, okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, I was kind of hoping it would be our last <laughs> series of Image United updates. Well, clearly, Paul, you didn't care for it. <laughs> clearly. You know the best thing about this book? The couple pages in the back of Haunt. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, I'm I, kind of with you guys. I didn't like it either. I, I really didn't like it. And I wondered, I wasn't a big image guy in the 90s. There were some image titles that I read. Um, but most of the characters that are featured in this book were never characters that I really cared for. And so I'm wondering if you really liked those characters, did this book read better? It made me want to go read Savage Dragon stuff, actual good Savage Dragon stories. Yeah, yeah, you know, which this uh, wasn't one. Exactly, you know, I was because I read all these titles when they first started, except for the the Will's Portacio character. This took everything that was bad about the Image '90s stuff, yeah, and and just basically scrapped everything that was good about the Image '90s stuff. Yeah, I think you know, and it just kind of put it all in one crap pile of. <laughs> book <laughs> i used to love the savage dragon i even picked up the cover that had the savage dragon on it i haven't read you know savage dragon regularly in like 50 issues yeah i love um, shadowhawk I, lo- I used to like spawn back in the day and i love savage dragon but this was not the character <coughs> that i maybe i'm just out of touch with him i don't know who the new spawn is that i'd never heard of this guy when i got to it yeah you know the original spawn died and he's now the villain of this um storyline i don't know i mean it, it seems like they just kind of expect you to know what well, the current continuity is the regular spawn title i know <clears> they've <throat> destroyed the earth and recreated it a couple times i think ah. mm-hmm. spawn has been human two or three times and then turned back to spawn if you read through the wikipedia article it gets uh very very convoluted so i'm not sure when it's supposed to be set but yeah. According to the Wikipedia article, this guy, the gym guy, is the current spawn. Well, you know, I I think I think the reason why I didn't like it was because, you know, these aren't characters that I've ever really liked before. And take I, a marker and mark out Kirkman's name on the front so it's not uh not a be smirch against him. 
We can do that. We can do that. Yeah. I also think that, that part of my problem was the artwork in that there's no unifying theme to it with all the different artists drawing their own guys, which is kind of a neat gimmick. It doesn't work well for telling a story. And not only that, Image, when it first started, these guys were the cream of the crop Mm -hmm. as far as art goes. And I think the art in this book is atrocious. I don't think any of them have aged well. Hey, I don't know that I'd call it atrocious. I just don't think it's just anything particularly special. See, I think it's bad, especially when you see the haunt backup and, you know, you've got Otley's art. It's very strong in that. And, you know, the the art in the preview, you know, know, I I don't think it's very strong at all. I mean, in the main book. The difference there is that it's one artist telling one story. Whereas throughout this comic, you've got a bunch of different artists drawing their own guys. And so, like I said, there's no unifying artistic theme. And I think I, I think that's probably what you're essentially got is page after page of splash pages. And it, it's really kind of hallmarks back to what I disliked about Image back in the 90s, is that it was all about the art, not about the story. You know, we start off in typical image fashion in the middle of a fight, and we move, instead of ending that fight and moving into some kind of exposition, we just move into another fight. And wait, here's another fight. That's what I disliked about this book. It was it was all one big, you know, action page. And if we can all agree not to buy this again, we don't have to have another Image United update. <laughs> yeah, I think we haven't heard from Jonathan here. I thought Jonathan's read it too. No, I didn't even know what it was. Wow. It, <laughs> and I, I asked before the show, and then you guys didn't tell me. <laughs> so we, we thought you were joking. joking. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, Jonathan. is Jonathan on the show? Yeah, is he? <laughs> Who is this Jonathan guy? Well, well you know. Uh, well, you know, Jonathan, we're, the reason we're I talk about Blackest Night stuff. So, <clears throat> well, Jonathan, yeah. uh, on one of your on one of our previous episodes that you were on, you actually had seen one of the uh, ads for Image United in an issue of Haunt, and you had said, "Ooh, that looks cool. I might have to pick that up." But uh, uh, clearly, you're just a bunch of talk, just a bunch of talk. Well, I, I, not that I, I thought that. See, when I saw the ad, I was confused about what it was. And I, maybe this was a problem with the ad, was that it looked really cool, but I thought it was just promoting image as a whole. Oh. So I was, I was like, oh, so these must be different characters that have that have uh, ongoing series or are part of a team maybe in uh, in some ongoing series. So I, you know, it's kind of like when you see when you see a big Marvel splash and it's got a bunch of Marvel characters on it. That's why I thought it was like, ah, uh, I see. I see. Okay. So it was a failure in advertising. Yeah, they didn't let you know, like, hey, you know, this is going to be a book, actually. This isn't just us saying, look at how cool our characters are. So, well, it partially was them saying, hey, look at us. Look at how cool our characters yeah, I mean, are. That's, that's the whole what the point of is. this crossover is, unfortunately, it's not about the story of the crossover. It is just one big, hey, look at how cool our characters are. Yeah. I think it might have done better if it was if it was designed to sell toys. Then it could have went the Secret Wars route, and it would have been a success. Until <laughs> they tried to do a sequel, and then it would have been a failure. <clears throat> I don't disagree with you. So uh, On the bright side of things, I did pick up... I, well, I went into my long boxes, and I started rereading... Uh, I have, like, the first 50 issues of Savage Dragon, which, you know, I love. And so, you know, I started reading a couple of those. So, I mean, it was a nice trip down memory lane as to the good image back then. Not this this palsied, sick image that it's now become. Is that Not this saying? bastardized Image United. <laughs> they should stay divided. Well, that concludes our Image United update, possibly okay. for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll move right into the, our Blackest Night update with Blackest Night the Flash, uh, issue one of three. 
Wayne, I know you read this one. What'd you think? I enjoyed it, but it didn't start where I thought it would. I thought they would start at the end of the last issue of Blackest Night, yeah. and I thought they would have the whole thing where he's being chased by the ring. Mm-hmm. And they did. Instead, they kind of go back and they start before that. But this is the first Blackest Night tie-in miniseries that I've enjoyed. Yeah, I I thought this was actually a pretty strong book. How about you, Paul? I actually really liked it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was I had high hopes for it because it's by the same team who did. Uh, the Rogue's Revenge, which mm-hmm. was the only tie-in series I liked from uh, Final Crisis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Scott Collins, he, you know, he was a big Flash artist back uh, when Jeff Johns was on the title. So I, I always enjoy that team. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, like um, Wayne said, there were some timing issues that caught me a little off guard at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially since it really kind of it takes place during an issue. And then, like, it leads into an issue we've already read. And I guess the next issue will probably of this title will probably take place either during issue six of Blackest Night or you know I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was well written, and I thought you know I really enjoyed it. Well, and I, I the uh, Scott Collins artwork really worked for this story. I thought I you know it, we 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 uh, bashed on Ethan Van Skyver quite a bit last time around, and you know it has the same coloring scheme that um, uh, they've been using in Flash Rebirth. But I just think that the pencils are, are, are so much uh, uh, better executed in this book. I mean, I, I really did. I thoroughly enjoyed this book, both in the story and in the artwork. I thought it worked really well. Yeah, the only page art-wise that bothered me was the big reveal of the new Black Flash. I didn't care for that page. But mm-hmm. other than that, I was happy with the art. I was happy when I realized that wasn't Barry, because when I glanced through it in the store... I when I saw it, I immediately thought, okay, the ring caught up with him. Yeah, and I was pleasantly surprised that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, yeah. I dug it, and I, and I like the the tricks they're playing with uh, the time story here. You know, I I think I think it's kind of a nice device. So uh, I have big thumbs up, and you know, uh, to what Wayne said, it's the first it's the first really strong uh, Blackest Night tie-in that we've yeah. seen. Now I do want to say if um if you liked this I highly recommend picking up John's and Scott Collins run on the title um because this Gorilla City stuff um and the Solovar character uh was a big piece when they were on the title together. Now that wasn't a Barry Allen flash though that was a Wally West flash right? Well Barry yeah it was the Wally West flash but one of the storylines involved Wally West meeting Solovar. Okay. Um and you know him becoming friends with him as Bar- as Barry Allen had, I see. Um, and then of course Solovar died, and that's why he's a Black Lantern. But, I um, loved how that's what it took to push him over the edge, where he yeah. could be read for emotion. Yeah, yeah I thought but, that was that was kind of a nice uh, touch there as well. And I think it really helped me to like this book more, even though everyone seemed to like it. But because I had recently read that stuff, I picked it up in on a sale in a quarter bin or something, and I read it. And you know, so the the whole friendship they had, which is summarized here, I got to see happen. Uh, recently, and you know, it, it definitely helped the emotional weight of that book of the of this book. I think. Yeah. Well, another Blackest Night book came out this week, which was Wonder Woman, Blackest Night Wonder Woman, number one of three. Now, uh, you know, uh, Paul Wayne uh, Wayne, you didn't read it, did you? You didn't. No, read to one. be honest, Wonder Woman is just not a character that really catches my interest. Yeah, I glanced through it in the store because I glanced through everything, whether I read it or not, but. Oh. 
it's just Liza Wonder Woman is just not one of my characters. Paul, you know, uh, coming off the the big rush of uh, Blackest Night Flash number one, you had to have loved Blackest Night Wonder Woman number one. <laughs> Some of that you know, love had to transfer from Blackest Night Flash to Blackest Night Wonder Woman. And, you know, based on your question, I can tell what you thought of it. <laughs> um, you know, I did not hate Blackest Night Wonder Woman. I felt, you know, it's one of those things that it feels like the story went too far. And I, I, it felt odd to me. And, you know, for those, you know, for Jonathan and Wayne, since you guys didn't read it, it takes place in Arlington National Cemetery. Um, and the Blackest Night Rings basically revive all of the soldiers buried in Arlington National Cemetery as zombies. And so Wonder Woman has to kind of take them all out, these soldiers who have been revived as zombies. I just felt it was kind of a very, I don't know, it, it, it like, I didn't mind, but it felt a little weird reading it. I'm like, why? They didn't think this might have been a little bit in poor taste. But other than the poor taste, you know, the art, I, I felt the art was very strong in the book. Um, but I, I didn't necessarily care for the series, you know, for the storyline. And I, I like Greg Rucka. I just didn't necessarily care for the storyline of the book. There were some things I liked about the book. Um, for instance, I loved in the initial pages where the uh, uh, zombie Max Lord has his head turned around, you know, because Wonder Woman had broken his neck uh, yeah. back in, gosh, I'm, uh, what, Prelude to Infinite Crisis or whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, so this was the, the character that she had mar- essentially, you know, executed back in those back in uh, those stories. And, you know, he's come back to haunt her in this. And he's got this head turned around the wrong direction. I thought that was really cool. And then they changed that. And I was like, you know, that that's really kind of a neat, creepy device. And I know we've seen that on other characters in the past, but I just thought that worked really well for that. My problem with this book, and I agree, I, I thought that that the uh, you know zombie uh, uh, soldiers were, were were maybe in poor taste given our our current uh, uh, political climate. But what I disliked about the book is I didn't see the point of it. You know, when I got to the last page, I'm like, well, this almost feels like it was a done in one. You know, I, where, where are we going from here? What, I mean, I know we've, we've still got all these zombies and whatnot, but what's the conflict here? Are we just going to, is Max Lord going to uh, reassemble from the ashes that we see there on the last page and, and come at her again? I mean, is that, is that the battle we're going to see for three issues? Yeah, and essentially, you know, um, the timing for Blackest Night Wonder Woman is much like the timing for Blackest Night Flash. Uh-huh. It takes place right before issue five, and yeah. at the end of the issue, just like in Blackest Night Flash, she's heading into the battle that started in Blackest Night number five, and we know how that resulted with her becoming a, a Black Lantern. So, I don't know, I will glance through issue two to see if it looks like it'll tickle my fancy, but issue one, issue one isn't a good start, and like you said, it doesn't feel important. Yeah. Or even uh, like a piece of the storyline, whereas the Flash one did, uh, and I think that's primarily because Flash is such a big character in Blackest Night, right? You know, and it's written by Jeff Johns, so it actually feels important to the storyline. Yeah, I just, I, you know, this book just never grabbed me, and it never. It, you, you, you look at uh, some of the pages, and, and there's not a bunch of, there's not much emotion, if any, on the face of Wonder Woman. You know, it's like she's just, you know, in some kind of Zen state, you know, above the conflict that she's involved in. And, you know, I keep thinking, well, you know, if she's not interested in what's going on, I'm not either. Yeah, I didn't like it. I mean, I I do think that that the artwork was very nice and there were a few nice touches, but that really isn't enough to, to keep me engaged on this book. So I may be out of this one. All right. And that concludes 
this week's Blackest Night update. But it does not include our undead superhero coverage. It doesn't? What other undead superheroes are there, Paul? Ooh, you're so bad at this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jonathan and I continue to read Marvel's undead crossover, which is Necrotia, um, which is going on in the X-Men books. Now, the only storyline, you know, we talked about Necrotia, the, the premiere book, Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the only storyline I'm really following is the one that goes through X-Force. There's three simultaneous storylines. I think one's in New Mutants and one's in X-Men Legacy. Yes. No, that's right. I'm following the one that's actually called Necrotia, which is going through X-Force. So what do you think of this one, the issue 21 of X-Force? I liked it. I mean, you didn't? And I I don't know if it's just because of my, you know, the fact that I'm not familiar with some of the characters, but I felt really lost reading this book. I didn't, I don't think I understood a, like a single page of it. I was just like lost the entire time. And I know who the X-Force characters are, but they're not really prevalent in this book, you know, kind of jumps around all over the place. Now, Paul, uh, is it because the words they use are kind of big? Yeah, you know, and, you know, I kind of, I think I might have read it upside down and backwards. Uh huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So maybe that's why it not. I mean, it just, it, it didn't really seem to flow to me. It felt very choppy, very disjointed. Um, it felt like it would be a great crossover book if they had like an extra 10 pages, uh, just to kind of flesh out the story more. It feels like it's jumping story beat, story beat, story beat, story beat instead of like flowing that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think that there's a good storyline in there. I think it's not given enough space to really flesh out. And maybe I'm, you know, Jonathan, obviously you disagree. I thought that this first issue was all like, hey, look at all the people that we're bringing back. So that's, that's where a lot of the cool factor came in, where you're just like, you're like, hey, you know, there's Pyro and stuff like that. And for me, who I've been out of uh, the Marvel Universe for uh, a, a good while. There were a lot of people that show up. I'm like, oh, that that person was dead. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember Pyro dying, but you know, I guess he is. And I do uh, remember Pyro dying, but I probably would be in the same boat in that I was driven from the X titles during Morrison's run, and I haven't come back, with the exception of Astonishing, which was really good, and uh, I did read Extreme X Men for a while, but yeah, I've I actually miss X Men, especially watching the new Wolverine and the X Men cartoon. I just watched the last three-part season finale and i'm really wanting a good x-men story and i'm not sure which book to start with Astonishing. you know uh, i would start with the chris claremont jim lee run from back in the early <laughs> 90s <laughs> okay, I, I already have those sitting in the other rooms so. see we just made it easy on you that's what we do here that's right <laughs> but I mean, that's really all I have to say about it. I, I love the art. I still love the art in X Force. I know, Jonathan, you feel a little differently about the art, uh, but not in this book. For really? some reason, yeah, they're doing. I mean, they're doing the Necrotia thing, and it just it works for X Force. I mean, if you if you flip through to about mid mid book, there's just the big page where Banshee makes his his comeback appearance, and that I, I would I would hang that on my wall. It's yeah. not even a cover. It's just a page. So, but are the characters like actually back, or are they zombies? They're kind of like zombies. Yeah, it's not really I, explained um, yet. You know, they're they're being brought back to life, but they are evil. They're under c- the control of a character named Celine. 
So I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's like Blackest Night where the rings are wearing the bearers. I think they are actually back to life. They're just still under a form of control. But, you know, overall, you know, this issue I didn't necessarily care for, but I, I do, I did like the first part of the storyline. I do plan to see at least the X-Force p- piece of the storyline all the way through to the end on Necrotia, um and see where it goes. Uh, I plan on seeing uh, all of them, but uh, this actually wasn't the first uh, Necrotia book uh, to come out. New Mutants was the first, but uh, waiting on that second printing, so... I hear it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know what cracks me up about some of the story, the well, the way they're advertising Necrotia, and I don't know um, if you guys have seen the ads. They're doing them like movie posters. They have an X Force one or a Necrotia one that looks like the Lost Boys poster. Oh no, I've not seen that. Oh yeah, I've I've, I've seen that one. Yeah, and then there's one coming out next week uh, called Necrotia. It's like a Necrotia special comes out next week, and the cover is modeled after the John Carpenter's Vampires poster. And I, I really kind of dig that. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's subtle. Uh, the, the, the Lost Boys one isn't so subtle, but it looks just like the Lost Boys poster, except it's got the X-Force characters. But I think that's fun. Yeah, that is nice when they do that. Yeah. I think this is, uh, this whole crossover is going to be a good opportunity to bring back people and sort of kind of reset a lot of things in the, in the X-Men, uh, universe. Yeah. You know, you know like, I, I'm pretty sure Banshee's going to stick around. I'm pretty sure Pyro, is going to stick around. I hope the Hellions are going to stick around. You know, I think my only concern about it is that I think maybe their hands will be tied because of the next big X-Men crossover that seems to come like two months after this one. You know, the the second coming storyline. It, yeah. it feels to me like, you know, it's one crossover after another, and so they're not really being allowed to, you know, to make big sweeping changes because big sweeping changes are coming in the, another month or two. Right. It's just you know, big churn all the time. Yeah, that's my feeling next one. I, I want to jump back in at some point, but it always seems like they're in the middle of a major storyline. Well, you know, my thing about the X-Men is I've always enjoyed those characters, but I just want to follow one title. Aaron, Paul, or not Aaron and Paul, Aaron and Wayne, not you, Paul. But uh, Are you really <laughs> sure about who you want to talk to? <laughs> Jonathan, jump, <No. laughs> jump into Uncanny, because Uncanny, all this stuff is going on on the island of Necrotia. They don't care about that in Uncanny. It's just a nice, beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and uh, right it now, has nothing to do with the storyline. And I picked up the last two issues of Astonishing, which is kind of nice, you know, because it's been kind of just the the big superhero stories. You know, it's not been uh, it's not been tied up with any of the other continuity stuff. Though I have to say, the uh, the big ad that I saw for uh, Second Coming for you know Cable Number Twenty One. Mm-hmm. Is an awfully nice page. Oh, I'm so excited, especially because I'm really loving Cable, and I never thought I could say that, but that that Cable book is fantastic. Yeah. You know, that reminds me. I heard that X Man is back. Does anyone know what title he came back in? Because I'll go pick it up just to see. Oh, d- yes. <laughs> now let me yeah. think of what title it was. <laughs> it was very recent. Um, it's one fact- of those Marvel books I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> Because I oh. really used to love that title. It was a drawback to Age of Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. So much. And, and those Age of Apocalypse books were so good. I didn't like the ending. I didn't like the whole mutant shaman thing they did with them. But other than that, I enjoyed that book beginning to end. 
He recently came back in Dark X-Men number one. I oh, be- that, yep, that's right, that's right. Actually, He's probably going. as soon as we're done recording, I may go out and uh, start hunting. <laughs> in fact, do you want to put us on hold so you can go get it right now? <laughs> we'll, <laughs> no, wait. we'll wait. We'll have a review of Dark X-Men number one by the end of the show. I, we're, we're talking about big crossovers in X-Men, you know, after one big crossover, after another big crossover. And to a certain extent, the Marvel Universe has kind of been crossing over with each other for the last year with Dark Reign. And it seems to be coming to an end, thankfully, uh, with Siege. Um, and the first issue of Siege came out this week, The Cabal. And I think almost everyone read it except for Wayne, uh, which if we had known, we wouldn't have invited him on. That's right. That's right. Exclude <laughs> him. I am trying to avoid this big crossover, and I'm hoping everything gets better when it's done, because I am really tired of the whole big conspiracy thing. Yeah. So. And you know what's sad? I've Because I've been catching up on Dark Reign, there have been some great stories that have happened during Dark Reign, um, like the beginning of the Punisher line, uh, you know, Moon Knight, some of the stuff that wouldn't have happened without Dark Reign. I still don't necessarily care for the, the, the entire storyline. Like the Dark Avenger stuff doesn't really connect with me. What they did with the X-Men and putting them on the island don't really dig it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, the Siege the Cabal is basically Norman Osborn. And his cabal, which is like his Illuminati, started off with Namor, Emma Frost, Doctor Doom, Loki, and the Hood. Well, since then, Emma Frost and Namor have left the group, and Norman's kind of declared war on mutants. And so, you know, that's where we start here with Norman basically trying to decide what to do next about the Asgardian home of... Aaron, help me here. Oh, uh, Asgard. Asgard. <laughs> well, are you talking about them being over in Latveria right now? Well, they're all in Latveria in or Thor. Asgard hovering over Oklahoma. Asgard hovering over Oklahoma, where the Asgard hover over the plains. <laughs> yeah, so that's where we're at with Siege the Cabal, um, with Norman deciding he wants to take them out. I know a couple of us read it. What do you think of it, Aaron? You know, and I this is the first thing in the Dark Reign series that I've read. You know, coming out of Dark Reign because I, I I jumped out right after Secret Invasion, so I have stayed off of the 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 Dark Reign books and I am in the process of picking things up in trade. I just haven't read them yet. So uh, I came into Siege the Cabal and really liked it. I'm a sucker for Bendis, um, and he he has just a, a really fine way of telling stories. Um, there are some things I didn't like about it, but you know, I liked. I, I like it when heroes and villains just sit down and talk, you know, and so the, the little co- the conference room scene where he's meeting with the cabal and basically just being ominous and, and uh, menacing. I, I really dug what I didn't like is why doesn't anybody ever check to see if who they're talking to is a doom bot or not, you know, yeah, because you know, it's anytime you blow up Dr. Doom, it's a freaking doom bot. You know, I would think somebody would say, uh, I'm not going to bl- waste my time talking to this guy because it's a doom bot. I don't get it. Yeah, and that happened at least twice this week. Uh, yeah, this know, week alone. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I Marvel I do- has a one track mind. When they do something, they continue to do it <laughs> in a lot of different. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, but you know, I I do like. I, I think one of the things that's really fascinating to me about what's happened in Marvel over the years is how. Norman Osborn has really become an A list supervillain outside of one set of books. You know, and and how they've really documented how his crazy works for him, 
And there's a whole page of him just being crazy, <laughs> you know, yeah. talking to himself and whatnot. And I just love it. I mean, I just, I, I just get a real kick out of how just batshit crazy Norman Osborn is. And there you go. Yeah. Well, one thing I really like, um, I think it was, it was either Dan Slott or Brian Michael Bendis that said one of the main parts of Dark Reign was they wanted to give every superhero in the Marvel Universe the life of Spider-Man. Yeah. That no matter if you win the day, there's still, you still don't feel like you won because the bad guy's still in charge. Norman Osborn's still out there, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think to a certain extent they have succeeded in that. Um, Jonathan, did you read Siege the Cabal? Of course. What did you think? All right. I felt like this book should have been given away free at the counter. Not that it was bad. It was a good read, but it was a preview read. Right. It was a setup. It was, you know, it it was just kind of letting you know uh, what's, yeah, what's going on. Well, and it, it was a good book for me because, like I said, I've been out of dark rain. And so it was nice to come in and, you know, and then really kind of cue it up for me. Yeah. You I know, this, I'm really sorry. I don't please. think it was worth. The four dollar cover price, you know, and this is what I'll say about it. It's very much a sequel to the Secret Invasion Dark Rain (laughs) book that started Dark Rain to begin with. Yeah, Um, same team, you know, same artist, same writer, and it was the forming of the Cabal, their very first meeting. And this is very much like, you know, like a conclude, you know, the the full circle of that. Right. And I wish both books had been like a dollar book. Yeah. You know, the, you know, uh, DC does that every once in a while. They'll put out the dollar book, and you know, those dollar books are important. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're meant to get as many people as they can in. Uh, in fact, the Blackest Night number zero would I, I would compare to Siege the Cabal. You know, it, it's basically here. We can get this out to as many people as possible to get them interested in this big storyline. And had this book been a dollar, I think, you know, the sales would have skyrocketed. People would have bought it and been interested in Siege. Wayne would have read it. And that's really all they want is yeah, Wayne's I would have picked it up for a dollar. That's for sure. You're right. Now, what, what upsets that. me about this is that you look at the checklist at the back of the book and you'll see that this will be going on through April. Yeah. And it does end in April. Um, and I'm but, going to have to be picking up Avengers the Initiative. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what does piss me off, you know, even before the checklist, is a six-page preview of Siege Number 1. Now, let me tell you, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Paul, because I didn't read it. Okay. Because I – we'll talk about Thor in just a minute, but I really disliked having the preview for, 60, for Thor 604 at the end of uh, Giant Size Thor. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I flip over here and I'm like, oh, it's a preview of issue one. Oh, this looks really good. And because I read Thor 604 before this, I decided not to read the preview. Yeah. You know, the, and I'll, maybe we'll skip to Thor 604 because it's so closely tied into Siege. Yeah. You know, mixing it up a little bit uh, from our <laughs> outline. Uh, because the preview of Siege reveals like two very important plot points, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they should have, you know, I guess, you know, it's p- to get people excited. But I think you probably could have gotten people excited without ruining, basically, uh, you know, going into Thor. Thor 604 is the first part of a three-part storyline. Based on what I read in the Siege preview, this three-part storyline, 604, 605, and 606, is basically meant to end, like wrap up J. Michael Straczynski's plot lines. Mm-hmm. Did you get that impression reading 604? No. 
Really? <laughs> I read Thor I, 604, it, and if it had a feeling like this was the final battle. Like, this is, like, he's, like, this new writer, uh, Kieran Gillen, is basically taking these three issues, these three issues, wrapping up what J. Michael Straczynski did I, and see, getting it ready for Siege. And I didn't feel like it was it was wrapping up the JMS storylines. I felt like it was now we're in Siege. Because these were the these are the books right here that, that JMS didn't want to write. And that was the reason why he left Thor. I don't think this has got anything to do with JMS. Oh, I agree. I think it's still I think I the book disagree. is disagree. Really? Well yeah. I disagree with Darren. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think that it is essentially, you know, I think it's doing two things. I, well, I, I think this is not the way JMS would have done. Mm-hmm. I think what he's trying to do is basically end the JMS storyline to prep the book for Siege. Um, maybe. I, I spent a lot of time in this book being irritated at the fact that I had read the first several pages in a preview. And I think that those, I think, Given the stretch of a week between books, if I had read these pages fresh, I might have had a different opinion of what happened, you know, with with uh, Dr. Doom versus the goddess. I, I really I think I would have enjoyed this book more. You know, I think what we're looking at, the reason this book came out now, and it's a timing issue mm-hmm. because of the delays of the JM, the end of the JMS run and the giant sized Thor, you know, we're seeing this you know we're seeing the beginning of siege which takes place after issue 606 of thor you know and so we won't see the beginning of siege until two months after siege begins essentially mm-hmm. um you know which, which is a little confusing but i very much think this is prepping the book for siege and ending kind of the main plot threads from jms's run did, did anybody else read thor this week i did what did you think of it i loved it Loved it. I uh, be I thought because I I jumped in on Thor at the end of uh, JMS's uh, stuff, so I read two issues of Thor and then Giant Sized. That's what I got through. And Giant Size was tough to read because I listened to funny books first, so I was like really scared going in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this this is the first time I've really gotten to start a new story arc with it. Mm. Uh, I do feel the way that, that Paul does. I feel that everything that JMS was doing kind of put them in this place. Like, I, I feel that it was everything that he did, like, coming to a head here. Uh, but I, I can't say enough about this book. What what have I been asking for? I've been asking for, I want I want a, a cool supervillain to have this diabolical plot. And, you know, I want the heroes to discover it and then do battle. And... This, uh, uh, I can't, I can't say, I can't say anything negative about this book. I, it, it had the art style that I like. It had the storytelling style that I like. I mean, Wayne said he didn't, he saw it, but he didn't buy it. I don't know how you could see this book on the rack and not buy it. Look at, look at this cover. It just fantastic. Well, and and I wouldn't want to give anyone the impression that I think it was a bad book. I, what I disliked about the book is that, Fully one third of the story was revealed to me last week in a preview, and it yeah, took. See, I, didn't, a, I didn't have that problem. Much well, like with the siege preview, I didn't read it, and it, and I won't read them again because it ruined what I think would have been a very dramatic moment in this book. Um, I, I I really worked against it, and it really worked against my enjoyment. Now, do I regret buying this book? No. Am I going to pick this book up next month? Yes. 
Do I still love this character, and do I still love what's going on with the character? Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, I have a general rule. I just don't read the preview in the back of a book yeah. if I think I might pick up the title. Yeah. If I I'm on the fence it. and I don't know, then I will read it. But yeah. Nah, and I, I, that was a hard lesson to learn, and I have learned it now. Yeah, and I, you know, I think even you know as much as Thor, the Thor preview ruined this book for you. Mm-hmm. The Siege preview is even more spoilerish. Well, and that's why I didn't read it. I yeah, and, so- and I was like, and it was hard for me not to read it because the artwork is so nice. And I was like, ooh, yeah. that's nice, and I like Volstag. And no, I'm not reading this. No, behind me, Satan. <laughs> before before we get before we get off of Thor, I've got I've got some questions. I'm not on Thor. <laughs> oh, Paul's under him. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, the first is how how long has Thor been doing this whole switching places with with a normal dude thing? Since uh, issue one of Journey into Mystery, <laughs> it's kind so of that's always part, been thing. That's just part of his background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I. I, I've only ever read Thor if he crossed over into something else or in the Ultimates universe. So he's always just been Thor to me. Right. So I'm just like, does this have something to do with his exile? I well, wasn't wasn't Don Blake gone for a little while before the uh, before Thor died? Yeah, he's yeah. been he's been been the the relationship between Blake and Thor has been off and on throughout the the storyline. And back during Disassembled, he had been fully separated. Yeah, it's kind of like Hulk. You know, yeah. sometimes Bruce Banner's there, sometimes he's not. Right. Uh, the Michael Avon Oming art uh, yeah. or run on Thor, he wasn't there for, which right. is right before Disassembled, like you said. Yeah, um, they really put know. him into the spotlight with this new series, though. Pretty much since uh, JMS started writing, him, that's right, yeah. majorly in the uh, the spotlight. Well, you know, and, John, and I'm sorry, ahead, please. no, you go ahead, Paul. Fine, I will. <laughs> I was going to say, Jonathan, if you're interested in picking up some good Thor stories with the Donald Blake character, with some good art and good writing, um, they recently released uh, the run of Thor written by Dan Jurgens with art by oh. John Romita Jr. Yeah, those are good books. Um, you know, they re- they recently released a trade of it, and that's th- those are great storylines. You know, Spider Man came into the book. Yeah. You know, great art, great you know big storylines. You know, kind of. I, I think it's totally up your alley. Well, and those books were great in that uh, they were the big build up for Disassembled, uh, for the Thor Disassembled books, and you know, Thor, Lord of Asgard. God, those were those were just outstanding books. Yeah, I'd recommend the first run on Straczynski here now as well. Oh, absolutely. Since you said you you jumped in right before Giant Size, go back to the beginning of this run where he brought him back. And that was an incredible first arc. Now, you know, in in the pages of 604, you know, there's the big scene where, you know, Loki's on his hands and knees in front of Balder. And, you know, uh, there's going to be some kind of punishment and reckoning, you know, after all of this is settled. And I, I could not help but remember in disassembled where uh you know uh thor beheads loki and then ties loki's head onto his belt and walks around through the rest of that story with loki just his head bouncing on his belt (laughs) (laughs) and loki talking to him you know because he's an immortal (laughs) you know i I really uh, love that scene by the way in in this book not yeah i didn't read disassembled but uh the the scene the scene between uh balder and 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 loki Mm -hmm. i really that was well done and i'll say you know The thing about Thor 604, you know, it it is very much like, uh, like I feel it's written, you know, Kieran Gillen is very much trying to keep the JMS feel, 
but he's not quite the wordsmith JMS is with the classical English. Some of that read a little odd to me, you know, read a little Yoda-ish in the way they talked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't think he's quite the wordsmith Straczynski was. Yeah, there were there were some some of the dialogue was like, yeah, it doesn't really work. Yeah, but like this. But what we face are animals, and they we hunt. Uh, no, you say you're reading it wrong. But what we face are animals, and they we hunt. That's how you have to read it. Uh, maybe that works better. Maybe, Aaron, <laughs> why don't you call me when Thor 605 comes out? And you want me to I read it to you? To, yeah. <laughs> you know what? That A new feature of Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Aaron will read the comics. Aaron reads the comics. Well, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I thought he did well is that there, there, there are some nice little moments in the book. For instance, uh, you know, Volstag, who's been working at the, the diner wearing a movies apron, you know, which is, I don't know if that was a, if that was the artist's choice or if that was the writer's choice, but, uh, him talking, you know, calling up, uh, Reed Richards over at the Baxter building for some, for some information. And just that comment, you know, well, you know, if you know the smartest man alive, you call him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I dug that. Oh, that that was my other question. Yeah, what happened between Reed Richards and Thor that they mentioned? Did you read Civil War? No, it, I read New Avengers, the New Avengers section of Civil War. Okay. Well, well you and- see, Jonathan, when a man falls in love with a woman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Civil War, Thor was not Thor was dead at the time, and so Tony Stark had captured some DNA material from Thor back when he was alive. Gave it to Reed Richards, and Richards built a clone Thor who was responsible for killing Giant Man during the Civil War. Wow. Not, was it yeah. Giant Man or Black Goliath? I forget what it he was. was Black Goliath. Thank Black you. Black Goliath. Yeah. I couldn't and remember what he was going by at that time. Early in this run Thor, they actually gave him a chance to face off against Iron Man and get some of that anger out against him. Yeah. It basically, he just demolishes Iron Man. Yeah, took him apart. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely, you know, pick up Civil War and pick up the JMS run on Thor. I think you'll you'll have a lot to like there. Yeah, just don't pick up the last issue of Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> if you buy it and trade, just don't read the last 20 pages. You'll be fine. And that's our recommendation to you. Much appreciated. <laughs> okay, so uh, this week when I was at the comic book shop, I was talking to uh, my comic guy, and we were talking about the books that we we're going to talk about this week. And, and I said, yeah, we, we were all talking about Fall of the Hulks. And he's like, oh, yeah, you guys excited about that? I said, oh, no. We were trying to figure out which one of us sad sacks was going to have to buy that thing. And I said, and it wasn't me. But apparently, Paul and Wayne both picked it up. Yeah. And even though Aaron skipped over the last two books in our outline, we'll jump over to Fall of the Hulks. We'll co- oh, you know, I'm sorry. It's because we skipped to Thor. I apologize. Whatever. Whatever. We'll talk about Fall of the Hulks. I'm so, now, I'm now it's all like natural and stuff. I know. I was hoping to get a chance to read it between now and when we got <laughs> that, but uh, I guess I won't get the chance. You know, I wish I had a recording of what Jonathan said earlier about uh, about Necrotia being are the cabal being this is just a setup for it. They should have given it away for free because that's how I feel about follow the Hulks. This was just a setup for the big crossover. It really was. And, but you know what? I actually really liked it. Um, I enjoy how they're kind of playing in the past and this is how everything came about. It's like, we're seeing the other side of, uh, of the stories we've been reading. Yeah, this is, you know, for those um, who are not familiar with the storyline, um, and honestly, I don't know what's going on too much in Hulk right now either, um, and you don't need to. 
<laughs> luckily to enjoy this book because Hulk is not really in the book. Um, it's written by Jeff Parker with art by Paul Pelletier. Oh, it's written by that Jeff Parker guy. That Jeff Parker guy. Um, I think cool. he's done a few I've, heard, I've heard things about him. <laughs> <laughs> and it involves the Intelligentsia, uh, which is a group of Marvel's greatest supervillain minds. Um, like the, the mad thinker, the wizard, the leader, um, the red menace. Is that what he's called? Red something. Hey. He's a Russian guy. He was Modoc. nobody I was really familiar with before this. Uh, the red ghost. Um, and you know, it's basically them throughout the different periods of Marvel history and how they reacted to, you know, like world war Hulk and secret war and, you know, things like that. And I, I actually really enjoyed it, but you're right. It, it, it is literally just like a prequel to Fall of the Hulks. It, it, I'm, you know, it, it's very, very much so um, something that probably could have been cheaper than four bucks. But it is, yeah. you know, it's a full issue worth of material. I mean, it's more than a regular sized issue. You know, I was worried when I first started reading and I saw all the Eternal stuff because I was never a big fan of the Eternals. But then after a couple pages, they're out of it. And that whole first starting scene was just great. And I won't spoil it for Jonathan when he has a chance to read it because I really enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I actually, you know, even if you don't like Hulk, what's going on in Hulk right now, this book is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, this, you know, this it, book really had very little to do with what's going on right now. That's one oh, of the I'm, so good. I'm sorry. Six books. Six books on my list <laughs> because I realized <laughs> I dropped uh, The Incredible Hulk as well. I just read Hulk for Red Hulk because I think he's a more interesting character. Yeah, I want oh, them wow. to finally, and I'm hoping they do it during the storyline, I want them to finally tell us who Red Hulk is. I'm tired of the hinting around and the, you know, all of that. What are you going to do when they reveal it's just some guy named Steve you've never heard of before? <laughs> Hi, I'm well, Steve. I'm Red Hulk. <laughs> I'll be glad one that thing- I probably read it on Wikipedia instead of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I like about this, it, it does answer a couple of questions about Red Hulk in that Red Hulk is a creation, or at least it's hinted that Red Hulk is a creation of the leader and MODOK. Yeah, what I don't get with that is they have been going heavily into he was created with Ross and with uh, Samson in the regular books. And this seems to completely go against that. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I don't, I'm like, I'm leery of continuing with the story. Um, cause I'm reading, you know, Incredible Hulk number 605 is the next, or I think the next piece in the storyline written by Greg Pak. Great. That's great. You know, Fall of the Hulk's Gamma, um, which I guess is the official start of the storyline is written by Jeff Loeb. And I'm like, ah, shit, I don't want to read that. Um, you know, I, I'm afraid of Jeff Loeb written <laughs> Hulk books now. Man, tell me about it. You know, if it was just Jeff Parker and Greg Pak, I would be all about it. But I don't know about this Loeb guy. (laughs) But, you know, Fall of the Hulks, I thought, was a halfway decent read. And I killed the conversation with that point. Well, and I I, I just don't think that Wayne agrees with you. I think Wayne is not only calling you wrong, but stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I I did enjoy the book. It's a setup for the big storyline. I'm not going to pick up everything in the storyline. But I did enjoy the book because I love anything that plays in and out of continuity. It's one of the reasons I love Booster Gold so much. This book basically does kind of like that, where it's you are seeing older stories and how things fit in. So I do enjoy that aspect of it, but I don't think that's what I don't think that is going to be the feel of the the crossover at all. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm gonna pick up the Fall of the Hulk's Gamma, the first part. It's got John Romita Jr. art, 
um, and I'll give it a shot then. Well, you know, I don't know if I'll stick with it. I was talking to Richard over at Zeus Comics this week about about the the follow the Hulks and you know all the the uh, you know big Hulk event that's going on, and he said, you know. It's it's funny to him that Marvel is rolling out a big, you know, event for this book because his sales have dropped off so much for the book. He says, you know, I'm what am I gonna do? I'm gonna, you know, sell this big event to the same thirty guys who are still picking up the Hulk. <laughs> you know, because it's well, it, I mean, for I think what they're targeting is someone like me, someone who absolutely hates the incredible Hulk, uh-huh. hates the direction that it went. And uh, is now going to be picking it up. Thanks again, Marvel. Not only Avengers Initiative, but the Incredible Hulk I will also have to be buying. Thanks. Yeah, that's fair enough, because I hated what they did with the Incredible Hulk, too. And as much as I like the Red Hulk and Hulk, I, I don't care for the writing in it too much. Yeah. See, and I, I, I want to like the Hulk again. I, I just haven't liked it since uh, you know World War Hulk wrapped up. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm eager to get back to, to Hulk that I like because I miss reading the Hulk. Does anyone find it interesting that they have so many, you know, DC has one big event going right now. Marvel has like three. You've got yeah. Necrotia going as a crossover, which will lead into the next big X-Men crossover. Hulk's got its own crossover going on. And then you've got, uh, you know, the Siege. Siege. Well, and don't forget Realm of Kings. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of big stuff that they go on all at the same well, time. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me if Marvel went back to their roots. Marvel used to be able to know how to do a crossover, okay? Yeah. Marvel used to know how to time the book's release well and have everything fit together uh character-wise in the in the continuity rather than Doctor Doom being in three books happening at the same time. Like great. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, they're all just doom bots anyway. Well, you know, Marvel <laughs> Marvel will never get better at uh, at timing their, their their book releases until fans stop accepting you know delayed books. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Marvel has built their business on you know the talent is worth the wait, and that fans will get over the fact that they solicit books before they're ready. Yeah. You know, and. and- Quesada is not really the biggest continuity fan anyway. I mean, yeah. he's willing to rewrite anything to tell what he thinks will be a better story. So. Well, yeah. see, to me, that's a problem. I've, I've complained about it before. Like, There's a lot of guys coming out of Marvel that are just like, so what if Wolverine's in every book? Just read it. It's fun. Like, and it's like, no, I want... I want it to make sense. Like the yeah. the whole point, the whole point of of me reading Marvel comics all, like almost exclusively is that you know I'm supposed to be reading everything in the same universe. I'm so, you know if if Wolverine is guest starring in say a Spider-Man book, then Wolverine shouldn't be in X-Men that mo- month cuz obviously he's in New York with Spider-Man. Uh you know things like that. I completely agree with you. I know. I think we may be the minority in the you know, comic book readers in general, but I completely agree. It bothers me when a character is guest starring in two books in the same month, or if they're on two teams at the same time that are in different locations. And, and allow me to take this conversation to cleverly throw in my Miss Marvel plug from last week. <laughs> 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 because uh, I don't know if it was Paul or Wayne... One of you guys was complaining about the whole New Avengers date night thing. Yes, that was me, about Spider-Woman. Yeah, man, you weren't reading the right book. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, 
you would have gotten to see Spider-Man go on a date last week if you had read Miss Marvel instead of New Avengers. Well, because... if they had advertised Miss Marvel instead of New <laughs> Avengers. He, he, uh, he actually uh, goes on a date with Carol Danvers in that book. It was a good read. You would you have know, gotten your romance. I probably would have. And, but, you know, we, now that we're talking about ads, there's an ad in every Marvel book this week for New Avengers number 60. And it says, The Final Fate of Luke Cage. Yeah. It's so and good. all I could think of looking at that ad is, is, is of issue 59 of New Avengers. I'm like, I bet you Luke Cage won't even be in the book. You know, it'll yeah, be it's entirely okay. like misadvertising. Like it'll be Captain America and Spider Man. It'll be Miss Marvel and Spider Man on a date. It, it won't even be <laughs> the cage. You know, that I was so I was like, I, I don't know if this is gonna fly. I don't know if it's gonna happen. This better be the final fate of Luke Cage, or else I'm gonna be pissed. Well, I don't know why his fate's in jeopardy. Like what I thought that <clears throat> I thought that uh, Osborne fixed him up, and then now he's saved. So I thought everything would be good. Yeah, this seems like the cover from two issues ago of New Avengers. It doesn't seem like this cover. I don't know. It's a little yeah. weird. But, you know, since we're talking about the Avengers, I figure we'll talk about a, the Dark Avengers annual. Did anybody read that one besides me? Yes? I did. I did during the Blackest Night update. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually really liked this. Um, it, it's I did, about too, my- and I don't read Dark Avengers. Well, I will now, but... I, I will say this is better than any issue of Dark Avengers that I've read. Um, I didn't read the Utopia crossover with uh, X-Men, but I did read the first storyline in Dark Avengers, and I picked up the last issue or two, two and uh, I felt this was better than any issue of Dark Avengers that I've actually read. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, and I, I read really the Utopia stuff. Boy too. As much as I hate Sentry, I really like Marvel Boy, especially in this. I was kind of on the fence about him until reading this and it's, the character is interesting yeah, oh, yeah. based on this i would pick up a a marvel boy uh ongoing yeah written by bendis and drawn by chris Bacalo. i thought the art in this was awesome you know sometimes his stuff is kind of hit or miss with me sometimes it's just a little too confusing but i thought his art was great in this book this um, did however remind me just how sick i am of century i yeah. love the original miniseries i am really done with this character yeah, and you know he's being played up a lot in Dark Avengers, and in Dark Avengers is probably the only book where I feel that he's almost interesting because of the way Norman Osborn deals with him. Um, but I, I, you know, Marvel Boy, I was worried because he's a Grant Morrison created character. I think, isn't he? Really? I think he Didn't was. He's... I'm not positive. Oh, I'm gonna have to change my opinion then. Maybe I wasn't reading this well enough. <laughs> so. What did you guys think of that final page? Spoilers for Captain America Reborn? Yes, uh, big spoilers for Captain America Reborn. Um, Aaron, now Aaron doesn't give a crap anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, the final page shows Bucky Cap standing next to Steve Rogers, not dressed as Cap, um, doing, I guess, recon in you know, to to gather up a, a group of heroes for Siege. In fact, it even says, to be continued in Siege. Hmm. Oh, this, wow. I guess this is what you were talking about by the art can sometimes be confusing, because I thought that that was Bucky Cap standing next to Nick Fury. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I, he says I guess Steve. I, I guess I, you know, looking at what <laughs> oh. he's wearing... <laughs> 
looking at what he's wearing, the face wouldn't be right for Fury, but he looks. I can see that as being something Fury would wear. He's he wearing basically an all black jumpsuit. <laughs> I, I'm trying to come to your defense, Jonathan. I am, but <laughs> I, this, this, this is why it's not good to try to read and then comment on a book while people are talking. In fact, <laughs> 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 but uh, I, if that is going well, you know, I can tell you the truth. That's not going to stick because yeah. they pretty much said that after Siege, Steve Rogers will be Captain America. Um, well, and after the Earth, they've got that whole other miniseries coming up. The, I can't remember what they were calling it, but it's the one to determine who's going to wear the cap uniform. Yeah, it's Battle it's, for the Cow. I'm sorry, Battle for the Shield. It is something like that. Like, who will <laughs> yeah. wield the shield or something yeah. like that? Um, you know, I I don't know. I don't I don't know about that. I, I feel it's a big spoiler for the end of Captain America Reborn. They should have had a little note. <laughs> she takes place after Captain America Reborn number six, because there's still two issues left in that series. But, you know, you can't delay the entire Marvel Universe because one book can't get out on time. God, if they did that for uh, Spider-Man Black Cat, we wouldn't have had a Marvel book for about four years. Yeah. <laughs> but Dark Avengers Annual number one, it does have that preview for Siege number one at the end. Uh, so don't read that. But I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, like I said, better than any Dark Avengers book that I've read. I was shocked by how much I enjoyed it because I'm not reading Dark Avengers. Although, now that I know that X-Men came back in issue number one, I'll at least pick up that. No, no, no that, that was, was Dark, Dark X-Men. No, no, Dark X-Men. I almost bought the wrong book in about a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, this is the service we provide. <laughs> now, one book that I... This is the first time I picked it up in a monthly. As a monthly. Well in this run, in this volume. Uh, but I picked up a couple of trades during Dark Reign is the Invincible Iron Man. And so I picked up the Invincible Iron Man number 20 this week, which is the first part of Stark Disassembled. Yep, um, I picked that up too, and I haven't been reading Iron Man up to this point, so I have to admit, I was a little confused by some of the things going on in it, but it wasn't, it seemed like it would be a good jumping on point for this story. Yeah, um, just to kind of get everyone caught up, uh, you know, after Norman Osborn took power, one of the first things he wanted to do is get his hands on Tony Stark's superhuman uh, registration database that had all the, you know, the the um, secret identities of all the heroes in the Marvel Universe. Well, Stark deleted the main copy he had, and there was only one other place where all that data was stored, and that was in a database in his brain. Um, and knowing that Norman Osborn would get his hands on it, Stark installed a virus in his brain um, to basically delete the hard drive, you know, format the hard drive. Um, so basically, you know, the, the, the Iron Man world's most wanted storyline was Tony trying to escape from Norman Osborn long enough for his hard drive to be wiped clean. And basically now he's in a comatose state. He, he doesn't even know how to breathe on his own. Yeah. He's trying to make the ultimate sacrifice basically. Yeah. But as revealed in issue 20, he's got a backup plan that involves Thor and Iron Man, I think, and Captain America, you know. Um, Was no, that going to be the lead-in for the for the new Avengers uh, uh, storyline? Yeah, and, you know, this, I think this fits into Siege. I think this fits into Avengers. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I think this is kind of a build-up to Siege because it's about them getting Iron Man back on the playing field. You know, it's interesting how long the 
for a long time, Avengers was Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, you know, and a few other characters. Now that it's been so long without them, every time I see them together on a page, like Secret Invasion when they did that, and they they finally have them all fighting together again, and even seeing them just standing next to each other in this book, it really gives you a little bit of a chills. It's like, that is what the Avengers should be. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I loved the hell out of Iron Man number 20, Invincible Iron Man number 20. Um, you know, Matt Fraction's art, or writing, fantastic. Salvador LaRocca on the art. I think the art is great in this book. It's a bit of a cerebral book right now, at least for this storyline. Yeah, this is not big superhero action. There has been that in the book, um, but this is almost like a, you know, there's a lot of espionage, a lot of conspiracy, um, so you kind of have to look for that, but I, I really liked it, and at the end of it, they have, we were complaining a little bit about some of those uh, saga books that are given away for free that you can't get your hands on. Mm-hmm. That kind of get everyone caught up on the storyline. Right. They have an Iron Man saga at the end of this book. It should have been at the beginning, probably, to get people yeah. caught up before they read the story. That's what I was saying. When I read it, there were some things that confused me that were all explained at the end. I wish I would have read that the end of it first. Yeah, they should have had a little note to jump to the end and read that and then read the storyline, you know, if this is your first issue. Uh, but it, so because of that, it's a really great jumping on point for new readers. And I think it's a great book. I, I am, I have added it to my monthly pull list, you know, because this is a very strong title and one of Marvel's best, I think. Now, Wayne, you were asking me what, uh, what Marvel's, uh, best title is. Yep. And I was waiting until we got here because this is it. And Spoiler Man. B, B rate character, but A list book. That's interesting. I have never really read Iron Man. I've done. I have a couple of the trades here and there, but I've never picked it up as a weekly. You know, pick up the Matt Fraction run. I mean, it's only the last three trade paperbacks. Um, you know, because this is issue twenty, so it's you know the three trade paperbacks leading up to issue twenty. It has been a fantastic run. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, Eisner, Eisner award-winning run, if you will. It is. It is. It has won an Eisner Award for, I think, best uh, new series. Hmm. Yeah. So, and uh, I guess the next place we can all continue with Siege, um, we were talking a little bit about the skip week uh, on December 30th, where no new comics come out. Well, not only is there Indie Comic Week, and DC's releasing Blackest Night number six, Marvel is also releasing free an Origins of Siege 32-page comic book um, featuring the prologue by Brian Michael Bendis, um, origin pages and stuff like that. Uh, so it'll, there will be a free Origins of Siege book. And the reason it's free, I think, is because the prologue will also be available online that day, uh-huh. like the Secret Invasion prologue was. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, you can pick it up at your local comic book store on December 30th. That's you know, cool. And the prequel to Siege. That's good to hear. So are we marveled out yet? I do you do you want to make a little transition over onto the other side of the street? No, 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 no. We're not marveled out yet. Well, I'm you know, it seems to me like it's time for JSA All Stars number one. Okay. <laughs> Go read something, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I could have read Fall of the Hulk. See, we should have put all this stuff before that. <laughs> 
Well, uh, issue one of uh, JSA All-Stars by uh, Matt Sturgis and Freddie Williams II came out this week. Um, I know uh, both uh, uh, Paul and myself read it, as well as Wayne. What would you guys think? I have to say I was a little disappointed. I didn't hate the book, but I was a little bit disappointed in the first issue. And I will have to say that I have, you know, I dropped out of JSA after Jeff Johns left the title. And uh, I picked this up because I was curious and I knew we'd talk about it. And I liked Sturgis and even Freddie Williams II. I like his stuff sometimes. Um, I didn't dislike the first issue, but I didn't think it was strong enough for me to continue with the title. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there are some things I like about the book. Um, like I, I, in the last several issues of the, uh, the core JSA title, we've seen where none of the bad guys are willing to attack uh, Stargirl. And so I'm glad that we've got some movement on that part of the story because that's been a little irritating for both me and Courtney. Courtney's been upset about it too. And we saw uh, it this issue. <laughs> that's Courtney? Courtney Stargirl. God. Okay. <laughs> just just mute and go read something. <laughs> you know. I completely agree with uh with that whole conversation that Stargirl probably should have been in the other book. Yeah. She doesn't seem to fit here at all. And to be honest, the art in this book I don't have a problem with the art overall. But when you put Power Girl next to Star Girl, they drew their hair exactly the same, and the two look like twins on the page. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, my big complaint about the book is Magog. I'd enjoy this book a whole lot more if Magog wasn't in it. I thought more than I thought. Some of the characters seemed to be kind of out of character. Like Power Girl wasn't necessarily acting like herself, but then again, they've changed how she acts so many times throughout the the course of her character that it's hard to say what she actually acts like. Yeah. But some of them seem to be out of character. I hated Maxine in here, the uh the character we're talking about that I actually the annoying one that Cyclone. I actually like. Yep. I hated how she was written in this book. And yeah, uh, she actually didn't irritate me as much in this book as she has previously. I had a feeling it they <laughs> got rid of a lot of that. It seemed like it, on certain pages I was wondering if I was actually reading a JSA title or a Gen 13 title yeah. as they're trying to find any excuse to rip off Power Girl's clothes. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I was like, golly, you know, how how, uh, how many times are we going to see her uh, uniform get shredded, you know, in in this book? You know, and that was one thing I was wondering because I've been out of it for a little while. I'm like, when did JSA turn into a TNA book? You know, because Power Girl has <laughs> always All had Stars number one. If it's got Power Girl in it, it's going to be a TNA book. That's right. You know, I thought that because, you know, she's got the costume and all, but it's all done very tastefully in, or it used to be in JSA. And then I'm reading it in here and her costume's always shredded. And even when she's not in the Power Girl costume, she's like, you, you, all you see is boobs when she's flying with Courtney. Uh, you know, above the earth, all you see uh-huh. is boobs. I mean, literally every panel, it's like they cut now, around her boobs. Now, in fairness, they use the same face and hair for both of them, so you have to have something to be able to tell the two apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt that should have had uh, Red Rocket in it. <laughs> Red Rocket. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm not off the book. Uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that we that uh, we did get to see uh, Sandy Hawkins, you know, for one page, and so that that suggests that maybe he's going to be on the team. And I, I do really like that character. Um, I will ho- probably keep buying it as long as Star Girl's in there. Yeah, because she's my favorite character on this team right now. Yeah, I'm in. I'm hoping that the that 
you know, the, the final reveal page on, on the last page uh, is going to be is going to lead us into something really cool next issue. Because, you know, when you're reading this collected and I know we're talking about floppies, not a collection. Uh, maybe when you're when you when when this story is paired with the chapters that come behind it, maybe we'll like it a little bit better. And, you know, like I said, it's not an awful book, but it wasn't something that dazzled me. My hopes are I like, like I said, Stargirl is my reason to keep going for now. Yeah. The first arc is going to be about her. Right. She's going to be heavily centered. And my hopes are after it's all over, she'll decide to go to the other team and I can drop one of the JSA books. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we move on, I wanted to ask, what did you guys think specifically of the art? I like Freddie Williams the second. You know, he was the artist for uh, uh, Final Crisis Aftermath Run, which Matt Sturgis <laughs> also wrote. And so I really, I really grooved to his art there. Um, I also enjoyed it here, though, you know, it, the artwork really suited run because run was a little tongue in cheek. Um, I'm not sure that it suits the story as well here. You know, I, uh, I liked his stuff on Robin Mm -hmm. here. He reminds me a lot of Bart Sears. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anyone knows who I'm talking about. He used to draw Turok, uh, back in the nineties. And he, you know, he, he, he drew like, he's been drawing comics for a while. I, I, I don't know. The art just seemed very out of place to me. It seemed very, image e to me the only thing that really bothered me about the art was these basically when they're out of costume power girl and star girl look exactly the same yeah there's nothing different on their faces he draws power girl's hair to even look like star girl's hair on those couple pages and when they're in costume it's not an issue they have completely different hair but other than that those couple pages really bothered me well and you know i I'll ask you this, Wayne. Do you think that maybe, uh, you know, Power Girl has been a mentor to Stargirl? Um, do you think that maybe that's intentional, that they're trying to represent that the character Stargirl is trying to emulate her mentor, uh, Power Girl? It's possible, but I didn't get that out of this. I mean, yeah, there was a bit of the mentor thing, but I didn't get that there was any emulation. Well, you know, the way to tell them apart is that Power Girl is the one without pupils. Am I the only one who noticed that in some of the panels she didn't have pupils? I, I am looking at it now, and yeah. Power Girl has the uh, the larger assets. Power Girl has the, uh, has the rod. Well, you know, and, and, you know, on several of these pages, I would also suggest that, uh, you know, Power Girl doesn't have nipples. <laughs> True. <laughs> I, I, I think that may be a trademark of uh, Kryptonians. Uh, there is a, a particular panel that I enjoyed in this book, uh, the writing of, and it's when they're they're sitting in the lodge and they're trying to figure out a name for their team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like, well, what about Infinity Inc.? Ah, oh, no, that, that's not going to work because Lex Luthor, I think, owns the trademark. Well, what about J-Force? And then Judo Master, who's, who really speaks only Japanese, offers Kagaku Ninja Tai Gachaman. <laughs> no, not G-Force. <laughs> it just cracks me up. I enjoyed that, too. Yeah, me too. Well, I think we all read a book. Did we read? Did we all read a single book this week? Yes, we did. I think we, we did. We all read Haunt number three from Image Comics. Yes, yes. and I, and I have to say about Haunt number three, it's the first cover I've liked. Yeah. Well, you're just sick, Aaron. <laughs> I, I do. I, I do have the little scratchy at the back of my throat. It's the first <laughs> cover where he doesn't look like Carnage or Spider Man. Or Spider-Man. Yeah. There was, I don't know if we ever mentioned that on the air, but 
I if you actually look at it, his costume is very similar to Carnage. Mm-hmm. His powers seem very similar to Carnage. And I have a friend that went out with Photoshop and took one of the covers and changed the coloring over to red and black. And there definitely does seem to be a bit of a Carnage inspiration for the character. Yeah. Look, nothing wrong with that. No, nothing at all. <laughs> I like Carnage. There's no good Carnage stories going on. So, so going okay. inside the cover, did anybody like the book? I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Beginning to end, I liked this book. I did too. I I like, you know, I like the way they're taking the storyline. It's not just, you know, we had a little bit of superhero action in the first issue. And I like that, you know, we're getting a lot of, a lot of, you know, it's like an origin story, but almost, you know, the origin actually, you know, it, 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 but a different, you know, I I like how we're getting introduced to the world around him and how he plays into it. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I really like that, you know. And I love the play of the two brothers again, you know, back and forth. Oh, and yeah. that interrogation scene, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved that. That was my favorite scene of the book, the interrogation scene. Well, and I loved the, uh, the you know, uh, haunt symbol. You know, we see it on the inside cover of the book. We see it on his uniform. And I love the explanation that we're provided by his, you know, crazy cellmate. You know, his hot crazy cellmate <laughs> uh not hot on one panel well she had, uh, she did kind of had the scary face on one panel uh yeah there's there's a panel where like she's kneeling in front of him uh-huh yeah and she looks like a tranny like her face <laughs> <laughs> in that scene. you know that works yep. jonathan <laughs> it did it did a little bit i got a little sprung and the great thing is by giving him his origin by a crazy lady if they want to change it at some point in a couple issues, like, say, issue seven or so, he could completely do that. Oh, yeah. No, I the uh, I thought this book worked on so many levels. For instance, the uh, artwork. It felt much less Todd McFarlane to me. You know, I wasn't overwhelmed by his inks uh, as we were in the previous two books. You know probably why. Because <laughs> he was in a hurry. I bet you. No, I was, yeah, I was about to say. I bet you we'll see as the series goes on, the artwork will feel a lot less Todd McFarlane. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you look at some of the the future uh, solicitations, they you know like Todd McFarlane's name is almost completely gone yeah. on uh, some of the solicitations for future issues of Haunt. So I don't know if that means he's you know completely dropping off of the title. Maybe he was just in for the first story arc. I don't know. Well, I don't think he's what makes this title anyway. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's just, We all agreed he was going to leave before too long. Well, and, you know, I you go through here and it just – I did not have an overwhelming sense of, of McFarlane stank as uh, Wayne describes it. Hey, it's a good book. <laughs> McFarlane has no business on it. That's right. I, I completely agree. I really enjoyed this. I, I thought it was well put together. I thought it was well told. Uh, I like what we're getting revealed um, you know, there's certainly a, a, a lot at stake and, and they've communicated that. I, I, I love that we're continuing to find out what a bastard uh, his brother is. Yeah. And I hope that in the inevitable trade or hardcover, which I probably will buy if the story keeps on at the current uh, quality, mm-hmm. um, that they include the, the piece from uh, Image United as well, like mm-hmm. in where it's supposed to fit in in the story. Right. And, you know, that was actually, I, I read that piece in, uh, Image United 
And I was like, God, I, I, it's going to irritate me that I've read this and, you know, I'm going to go buy Haunt. And then that piece isn't in this book. I love I'm kinda that. Hoping they, I'm kind of hoping they never do put it in the book, that they just made something new to, to advertise and draw you into the book. Yeah, but I mean, I'd be okay with it in the trade paperback, I think. Yeah. You know, rather now, than, you know, I don't want to pay for an issue of it, <laughs> you know, for six issues, you know, for basically just 12 pages of new material. But I'd be happy if it was, you know, in the trade paperback. Yeah. All right. Uh, at the end of the book, it says, uh, next issue, haunt number four. And it says that, uh, we're going to learn, uh, haunts weakness. All right. Let's, let's throw out some guesses. What do you guys think? Spinach. Todd McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for taking me seriously, guys. <laughs> I don't know what it would be. You know, they, they've not even hinted at one so far. You know, I, I always thought it'd be like Crosshells or churches or something, but no way. No, I think maybe he'll meet like an angelic character or something. and Something that would probably be in Spawn normally. Oh, so it's not going to be like a weakness, weakness, but you're talking like they're setting up uh, an antagonist as a weakness. No, I think it may be, I think it would be a weakness, but it's like uh, Spawn in some of the early issues, when he touched certain angelic characters, namely God, his costume shut off. Yeah. yeah. So something may I be would, like that. But yeah, and I, I would venture to say it could be something religious, given, you know, given the religious nature of the character. I think it would very much make sense that there would be some type of religious weakness that he has. Well, and we did see that he, we did have a weakness revealed in this issue in that, um, if he is affected as his human self, you know, like when he got the, the, uh, drug injection, you know, even though he's turned into haunt, he is still subject to that weakness. You know, That's a good point. Which would oh, yeah. suggest, you know, if he breaks a bone or something as, you know, his human self turns into haunt, he still has to suffer from that weakness. Yeah, unlike Thor, you know, what we saw in Thor that Donald Blake was injured and he's, you know, he's as Thor, you know, he doesn't have that injury. Right. You know, it would make sense that as haunt, because he doesn't transform into a different person. Yeah. You know, this, yeah. You know he just gets the ectoplasmic suit. Right. Yeah, he just says the basically the symbiote that is his brother wave over him. <laughs> yeah. The symbiote. He's got carnage. <laughs> yeah, well, I think his weakness is being a heavy sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the case. Yeah, if my brother's ghost was screaming at me to wake up, I would wake up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, since we're talking about weaknesses. Oh, we said we weren't going to talk about Jonathan while he was on. <laughs> Uh, no, even weaker than Jonathan <laughs> is Frankencastle. Uh oh. Yeah. You know, we, uh, I was talking a couple of weeks ago about my love, my love of the current run of Punisher by Rick Remender and a couple of different artists. It started off with Jerome Pena and then it went to some other dude. And now it's Tony Moore. Um, and this follows up directly after Dark Rain, the list Punisher, which Jonathan and I both, you know, said how much we loved. Uh, but you know, all of, you know, Jonathan Wayne and I both had a little trepidation about the Frankencastle storyline, and I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. 
my thoughts are the title ended at Dark Rain, the list, Punisher, and this never happened. Amen, brother. I am washing my hands of this. Yeah, it, it is that bad, Aaron, by the way. It, it, you know, I was... It, it is, you know, it's shocking to think it's the same writer, because this doesn't feel at all like anything that came in the, you know, 11, you know, 10, 11 issues that came before it. Wow. You know, this had a lot of promise. I, 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 uh, I've heard several. Did it really have promise? Well, I mean, I, I know a lot of people were excited about it. I know that. Who's the writer on this one? Remender. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, it's Remender, isn't it? I, I, I heard, uh, Remender interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and I mean, he was really talking it up. So, I mean, maybe what we were just hearing was a bunch of selling as opposed to some quality writing. But, you know, I know a lot of folks were really jazzed about this. Well, maybe, maybe he thought, maybe too. he thought it was a good idea. We don't. I mean, I mean, we can't assume that Grant Morrison knows that all of his stuff is jank. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Quesada really feels he is doing what's best for Spider-Man. I completely disagree with him. I mean, it's not, I don't think this is anything, you know, intentionally to destroy the character. It's just <laughs> some people, you have to wonder how this made it past the editors. Now, do you Someone feel like, should have said something. do you feel like there was a kernel of a good idea there and it just went wrong? Or do you feel like it was a bad idea from the get go? Honestly, a bad idea. I think Bad the good, I, yeah, I'm, I think the good idea was killing the Punisher as part of Dark Reign. Yes. I think that was such a perfect ending to the character, at least until they brought him back years down the line. I think this takes away the impact of killing the Punisher the way they did, because yeah. it was perfect until this issue. Oh, and they gave him another weakness as part of the whole Frankencastle thing, Aaron. He now has to take a pill every twelve hours, or he goes insane. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when I first read this issue, I was upset. Um, but now, knowing that I'm going to have to be buying the Incredible Hulk and uh, Avengers: The Initiative, I know exactly what to cut to make make a little room. <laughs> so, what you guys are saying is that. Uh, Frank Castle's on lithium. Essentially. Yeah. And not only the, re- you know- the reason why this could make it past the editors is because what else are you going to do with the Punisher? I think any idea that somebody brought up, it was going to be accepted because it's just like it's the Punisher. Yeah. Like, but you know what? It was like there, this would be a great book if it was not following what came on the Punisher and what they've done with the Punisher. Because I like some of the ideas, but not for the Punisher. Like yeah, if it, was if it just, wasn't Frank Castle. Yeah, because, I mean, his doctor is Morbius, which is great. I think that's awesome. You know, and this legion of monsters beneath the city. But that doesn't really fit the Punisher, you know, as did a you catch? Did you catch Fing Fang Foom with a broken arm? Yes. I thought that was funny. I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I it, it It's a bad idea for the Punisher. You know, if they had some type of new supernatural character, that would be great. But, you know, as the Punisher, it's as stupid as when he became an angel. I don't know if anyone remembers that. I do. I think this was no. worse. <laughs> yeah. The, after the Punisher died the first time, well, one of the many times, he came back as an angel. Yep. He met, his, uh, he met his guardian angel who said that he was supposed to have protected his family and he failed. 
And as a basically as a apology for having failed, he brings Frank back as in an angel who has angelic guns because he can create basically anything out of his trench coat. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, they just completely ignore it when they came back with the regular title. Yeah. They, uh, they have one line to, to address it that just says, basically, you know, I went to heaven. They didn't want me. Now I'm back. Yeah. In the Ennis run. And I love that line. Um, but I don't love Frankencastle. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, but Aaron. I, I, I feel that uh, that Marvel right now has uh, some series that just aren't just aren't up to snuff. They're a little lost, and, I think, on some of their series, and I think this might be yeah. one of yeah. them. And I mean, killing is- killing the Punisher would have been a great way just to uh, end that series without being like, "Oh, hey, we're canceled." And uh, <laughs> I think I think they should have just went with that. Yeah, and there is something to be said for different tastes in books. I mean, some people can like certain books that other people hate. This isn't one of those cases. This is just bad. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. But, well, one book that was good, that Aaron liked anyway, I think you were the only one who read it last time, was Super God. Yeah, I, re- I picked up uh, Super God number two this week. And uh, I really like this book. I have one complaint. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, and, you know, I talked about it last time that it felt like a uh, a prequel or a zero issue uh, to the book in the way that the story was being told. Because the story is narrated by... Um, uh, a survivor of this apocalypse that is was uh, uh, created by superhumans, and that continues in this book. It's you know it's still a third person narration with him you know living in the middle of the apocalypse, telling about how we got there. And there's just no sense of immediacy in the book. You're there's a whole bunch of cool stuff that's going on, but because it's all told. Uh, in the manner that it's being told, you just feel like it's a guy sitting next to you at a coffee shop telling you a story as opposed to you being fully immersed in the story. And that, that's my complaint about the book, but it is awfully neat. And it, you know, it's chronicling this, uh, superhero cold war in which the weapons that everyone's arming up with are superhumans that they've created. And I, I do like it. I, it's just my only complaint about it. Uh, Warren Ellis is, is doing a, a really neat job. It is told from a very British perspective which uh, I find really amusing in this book. And it's, it's something that I, that I generally like about Warren Ellis's writing. So uh, I do recommend super God number two. I'm, I'm uh, interested to see where this is going to go. So there you go. There we go. There you go. <laughs> now, should the title be uh, read as super God or super God? <laughs> this God is super. <laughs> super God. one of the one of the things that that it that it tells the story of is you know you've got these different uh countries who have you know built their their superhuman and you know the soviets were successful in building theirs like in the 50s and then the uh, u.s built theirs in the 60s and so when they fought um or 60s and 70s when they fought the American super uh, superhuman was able to defeat the Russian one because it was old technology. Well, it looks like the what precipitated this you know superhuman apocalypse is the fact that the uh, 
the Pakistanians, I believe, had uh, uh, built theirs, and theirs was a you know a, a superhuman from the 2000 era, not from the 1970s. And so it looks like the U.S. pretty much had their ass handed to them or will in uh, the pages of number three. Uh, I'm I'm already reading a book like that, Aaron. And that is the Marvels Project. I have not read the Marvels Project. Fantastic. I looked at it on the Not that you haven't read it. I mean, it's a fantasy book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I saw it on the shelf and I was looking at it, but I didn't recognize any of the characters. I didn't know what it was about. So, well, it it seems to be set in an alter. It's kind of it kind of reminds me of uh, Marvel sixteen oh two the way it was done. Uh, So, I mean, it's completely unrelated to the current Marvel universe. Uh, but you do have characters, uh, reimagined and showing up in, in the pages. Uh, the only character who's really similar is Namor, cause mm-hmm. Namor's just Namor, but, uh, you know, you've got the Human Torch, but instead of it being Johnny Storm and all that origin story, the Human Torch is actually an art- artificially created being. It was created in a lab. Well, the original Human Torch was a robot. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think World War II. the Human yeah. Torch from the World War II era. Not, right. Not this this is set. This is also set in the World War II oh. era, but uh, he's an android. Yeah. So I guess. Oh, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> well, a book that uh, Jonathan, you and I both read. In case you yep. don't know is uh, Nova number 32, which is uh, in the realm of King storyline and features the return of the Sphinx. Oh, I was so excited about the return of the Sphinx. What'd you think of the book? Well, actually, I have no idea who the Sphinx is. See, but... and <laughs> the Sphinx is one of my favorite villains. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was thrilled when I saw that they were bringing him back. I love the disbelief in Jonathan's voice. Really? <laughs> and why would that be? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I was disappointed with the last issue of Nova, as we talked about. Yeah. Uh, I love this book. See, see my review of uh, Thor 604 for more info. Because <laughs> I, I thought that, that this book did everything that, that Thor did well. And it was nice to read two books like that in a week. I thought this book was really good. I, you know, I was, I was interested from beginning to end. And of course I'm a big fan of the Sphinx. The Sphinx is an, is an old school villain from the original run of uh, Nova back in the seventies. He had a huge story arc in the pages of fantastic four back in the day where uh, he was too big of a villain for uh, the fantastic four to defeat. So Reed Richards went out and got Galactus to help him. And so there's this excellent fight, you know, in the sands of Egypt, you know, between Galactus and the Sphinx. And so, you know, this was a, this was a whole big chunk of nostalgia for me. And I, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. I love that they're, you know, set in some Egypt like desert. Uh, the reveal on the last page actually has, has some, uh, some, some big impact on the Marvel universe if it's actually real. Well, see, I don't understand this though. Like, isn't, isn't Namorita in Agents of Alice? No, that's Namora, her mom. Oh, great. So, well, it's yeah, not confusing at all. 
Well, and if you read, if you, if you read, uh, much of Agents of Atlas, there's a whole, you know, um, page setting there where Namora is mourning the, the loss of her daughter because, you know, Namorita died, uh, in the first issue of Civil War. First issue of Civil War? Is that right, Paul? That's correct. She was one of the, uh, New Warriors. New New Warriors. That's what they were called. Well, uh, on the last page of, uh, Nova 32, Black Bolt wanders out of uh, uh, of the sea there in this book with a, a bandaged Namorita in his arms, and so you know this might not really be Namorita because we know that you know some of these characters in this story are being plucked from different points in time. So, for instance, Darkhawk and Nova are pulled out of current continuity. Uh, Reed Richards is in the book, but he's pulled out of like 1970s continuity when Nova first appeared on the scene. And, uh, we know that Black Bolt appears in the book from prior to, uh, getting blown up at the end of War of Kings. So, uh, you know, it's, it's no telling where this Namorita comes from or if she's even Namorita. And if she's alive, that has a bearing on Agents of Atlas. And what's going on with uh, Jeff Parker's story? So I'm real curious to see where this goes. And of course, yeah, yeah Nova. To do with it. Yeah, Nova had uh, uh, a relationship with uh, Namorita, so uh, should be interesting to see where this where this takes us. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Good deal. Well, uh, Realm of Kings has been rocking. We didn't talk about a couple of Realm of Kings books, but uh, Realm of Kings in Humans, uh, one of five, has come out. Uh, the, the realm of Kings one shot has come out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I really enjoyed both of those. I thought they were, they were, you know, really, uh, uh, very good books. I'm enjoying what's going on with the realm of Kings. Well, like what is the plot of realm of Kings? Cause all I know is I was reading some space books and now all of a sudden they have a realm of Kings tag on them, but nothing's changing about how the books are being done. I think with you know the realm of kings storyline is is really just picking up with everything that happened after the end of war of kings because you know you lost the leader of the inhumans you lost the leader of the shiar empire the kree are uh, being led by the inhumans and so it's the gap of leadership in these you know giant uh, uh star empires and what's happening to fill that void and, you know, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there in, in the far flung reaches of space that's uncertain now that, that you didn't have that that level of uncertainty before because you had such a rock solid leader in Vulcan in the Shi'ar Empire. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, the, the story is just kind of documenting what the, the change in the political structure going on out there. And that, you know, is touching on all of the, the space books at this time. Hmm, okay. so there you go. Oh. Horrible name, by the way, Vulcan. I uh, I was really excited to find out who Alex Scott's uh, brother was. Mm-hmm. To find out some dude named Vulcan. Yeah, I <laughs> thought it was going to be extreme. Well, I mean, did they, you read the start of that storyline when they first discovered they had a brother? Yeah, but I didn't read brother? any of that storyline. <laughs> this is well, way back in the 90s where it was revealed they had a brother. Mm-hmm. That was back when uh, Jonathan was like two, so. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so. Uh, now that we all feel old, other than Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's speaking of Jonathan, you know, back when he was a wee Jonathan, 
uh, a couple of books started, and uh, we've been talking about them for a while. We've been talking about Invincible and The Walking Dead. And now that Jonathan's old enough to read them, <laughs> he's been picking them up in trade. And, uh, you know, this is a big feat because Jonathan collects Marvel primarily other than Haunt. So I- I'm very curious to see what you thought of the books. Uh, okay. Uh, well, let's start with Invincible. Uh, the art style was okay. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't exactly what I'm looking for in a supers book because I do believe that I do believe that the comic books have progressed past the eighties. Uh, but at the same time it was bright and I like, I like bright and a lot of colors. So, <laughs> well, I will say I, the artist changes after the first arc of Invincible. Yeah. It always oh, does I, have a similar look, but suddenly you get that similar look with graphic bloody scenes. Well, I, yeah. I just felt that the art lacked detail. Like, yeah. you know, I like I like superheroes to have a lot of uh, accessories <laughs> on their costumes. So. <laughs> I, I think know, that's Corey gayer Walker. Gayer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <laughs> moving past uh, the art. <laughs> yeah, the, the story I thought was uh, was fantastic. I I loved it. I loved uh, the relationship. Uh, between Invincible and his dad, um, I I thought that uh, it, it made me realize, which I hadn't noticed before, that not a lot of comic book characters have good relationships with their fathers, <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and um, that might be a little bit of the writers uh, showing through, but but normally they're very angsty toward the dad. Well, wait, Barry like, Allen, oh. No. <laughs> no, I don't know if anyone ever read uh, the Adam Eve or Invincible Presents Adam Eve. They yes. have a backup one-page story in it about uh, you know a guest star starring Invincible, and it just shows uh, the title of it is "Why Isn't Invincible in This Title?" And it shows him sitting at the table. His dad walks in. You know, you got your powers yet, son? Nope. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That was really funny. I remember that. But, uh, you know, I, I will say the art in the first arc of Invincible, keep 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 with it. Because yeah, it switches to Ryan Otley, who's the artist on Haunt as well, the penciler on Haunt. So if you mm-hmm. like the art on Haunt, you're pretty much going to like the art on Invincible. Though yeah, there, is have- a, there is a different style. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Otley is awesome. His, his artwork on Invincible is just terrific. Yeah, now I trades in my hand, and I can tell the difference looking through the art. So, so what do you think but, of the story, though, Jonathan? Oh, I thought this the story was fantastic. Um, the uh, the names are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's got I think it's got the worst uh, superhero and supervillain names I've ever heard in a book. Um, I think the su- like, I, think- I, don't, I don't even think I don't even think Stan Lee and Jack Kirby could come up with something that bad. Oh, well, they, I love they had uh, Kirkman was writing Marvel Team Up for a while. I was Spider Man Team, one of the two, and he did a crossover with Invincible that actually ties into an Invincible storyline where he's being shot from dimension to dimension, fighting various people. Mm-hmm. And Kirkman does this whole banter back and forth between Invincible and Spider Man about whose name is worse. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. It's and it's collected in the Marvel Team Up uh, book. 
Yeah, uh, in one of the trades. And that was a great run, the Robert Kirkman run on Marvel Team Up. Now, yeah. I will say that I think the whole name thing is nostalgia because yeah. if you really break down superhero names and stuff like that, you're like, oh, how lame. Right. I mean, look at <laughs> what's, what's the X-Men's primary villain? Magneto. Magneto. <laughs> oh. Let's but look at the character we all love, Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, if and all of his villains are just animals. Well, not all of them, but, you know, a good portion of his villains are just animals. Dr. Octopus, how lame does that actually sound yeah. for a character that's pretty cool? Now, how far did this run – how far did your book go, Jonathan? I don't know. Well, they like, don't <laughs> – like, the, the, the trade, to me, didn't do uh, – didn't do much as far as letting you know when an issue began and ended. Right. So well, what, what was the last? I'm sorry. Since I'm holding both in my hands, and I do know what's coming up that he hasn't seen yet. No big twists have happened yet. He discovers his powers. He starts working with his father, and he gets. They do a couple of different costumes to figure out which costume he's going to wear. It doesn't get into any big twist yet. Doesn't the big thing happen in like issue twelve or th- issue twelve or thirteen? I think it happens – there's a big twist at the end of issue seven, which is probably the last page of the book that you read, Jonathan. No, he did not get to the big twist. I'm, I'm, I'm looking now. I'm flipping through to see what, what happened on the last page. I, said, I, have, I have the first two trade paperbacks in my hand, and he has not gotten to the big twist if he's only read the first one. Hmm. I, it looks like the very first issue of the next one – no, the second issue in the next trade paperback is where they start doing the twist. Yeah. Well, I will be picking up the the second the second trade. I've already told my comic book guy, make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Because the second trade is going to blow your mind. Yeah, and then the third, ooh. Well, and they all just get better. I mean that's yeah. that's the thing about that book is that the he he has he necessarily spends some time establishing his universe in uh, the first two trades and everything that spins out of that is is just fantastic beyond there. You know, and the cool thing for me was I jumped on board around issue twenty when they did that special ninety nine cent number zero. Yeah, yeah. I picked that up and I started picking the series up from then. So when I read these first ones, I went I was able to get them all in trade. And read the entire story at once, so I didn't have that long progression of building up the character and all that. And I think that helps quite a bit on some titles. Yeah, yeah. So you also read Walking Dead. Yes. And what'd you think of that? Um, all right, I picked it up, and uh, it uh, the the first uh, I guess like the prologue to the story. Uh, really hooked me in, you know, with with uh, the main character getting shot and all that. Mm-hmm. And then it quickly let go of me. Oh, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like it it, gra- it grabbed on, and then a quick release. Uh, and I didn't enjoy it all the way through. Um, after I had finished reading the whole trade, I was like, well, "I'm gonna pick up number two now." It, <laughs> It was. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, you I, sound like that's punishment. <laughs> well, I guess I'll get number two now. <laughs> and actually, actually, I haven't read it yet. But last night I did pick up the, the second trade, and I'm not excited. But I don't know what it is. It's it's I. It, it didn't. 
Like, if I think back, I'm like, I, I don't hate it. I'm just eh how, about it. But at the same time, the I want to read the first one. What's that? How far did the story go in the first one? Uh, the the final the final scene is is uh is pretty much uh what's the main character's name in that story? Oh, <laughs> all right. None of us well, all right. So we'll just call him the main character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his his son shoots uh shoots his his buddy because his yeah. buddy won. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure if that was in the first one or the second one. No, yeah, that's the first one. Um. So, so I'm trying to remember his name. Is it Ron? Is it? Ah, oh, God, I can't remember his name. And I don't have any of those books handy. I don't either. I will say no. that I have dropped The Walking Dead. Um, I, I liked it when it started. It seemed to kind of just be running in place for a while. Um, so I just kind of, I, I think I'm, I might pick up a trade to get caught up a little bit, but. For right now, I'm kind of out of it. Well, and I, you know, just like Invincible, I've never picked it up in floppies. I've only picked it up in trade. Now, Invincible is a new one for me, but I've been I've been reading uh, Walking Dead for a while now, and and I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I like reading it in trade because you can just, just like human flesh, you can just gobble it up all in one sitting. Yeah, I I've only read Walking Dead in trade, and I didn't care for the last trade, but other than that, I've loved all of them up to it. I've never picked up a floppy of uh, Walking Dead. Yeah. Well, and I I think that floppies could hurt Walking Dead. Like I said, I I read the first trade and then I went and picked up the second one. And while I'm not, I mean, I just don't know how to feel. And if I had just picked up, uh, say, issue one and read it, I probably wouldn't pick up anything after that because I just it I felt so blah about the whole thing that I. I don't know. I don't know why I'm continuing to read this. So I guess somewhere, <laughs> I, I guess somewhere in my if somewhere in my subconscious is just something is really exciting me. But uh, you know, on the surface level, I'm just like, eh? <laughs> yeah. There, there are some books where I would say that if you didn't like the first story, you might still get into the later's. But when it comes to Walking Dead, I know I was hooked from the beginning on. So, I mean, if you didn't like the first trade, I don't know that you'll like the rest of them. But again, it's not that I didn't like it. I don't know. I don't know whether I should like it or not. <laughs> uh, and the lead character's name is Rick, by the way. Thank oh, you. Uh, there was an right. R in it. Uh, but um, but uh, now reading uh, Invincible and The Walking Dead, uh, when I read Haunt this week, it really made me see like, oh, yeah, this is. These are Kirkman books. Like the writing style, like I'm just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> so you know, you you definitely see the uh between all three books, uh the the similarities with the writing style. Yeah, if you're yeah. really enjoying Kirkman, haven't read it, I don't know if you have or not, I recommend getting the trades of uh, Irredeemable Ant Man. Yeah, because all I need is more Kirkman books. <laughs> <laughs> and Marvel team up, but uh but do not pick up the astounding wolfman yeah i didn't care for astounding wolfman now uh another book uh that uh, we a lone person on the on the panel read this week is uh the secret invasion what if book what's that thing called what, what if, if secret invasion 
Oh, is it just what if secret invasion? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was what if secret invasion ended differently with, with you know, pointy hats or something. No, so. they don't do that anymore. Uh, okay. uh, the last couple of years, they've been doing waves of what ifs. They'll do like two waves a year, and it'll be what if with the name of the big storyline. They don't explain partially because they don't have just one story in them anymore. Mm-hmm. They have multiple stories around that storyline. It's And I get everything what if, because I used to love the series so much, and the newer ones haven't been nearly as good as the old ones, but I really enjoyed the first of the What If Secret Invasion stories here, mm-hmm. and I really hated the second one. Uh, yeah. I mean, you've got different writers, you've got different artists, you've got a completely different story. Um, the first one deals with the what if the Skrulls had won, basically. Right. The, there's no Reed Richards stopping them, there's no discovery of it they basically succeed in taking over the planet and there's just this one little bit of resistance left. And so I enjoyed it quite a bit. And for, uh, for all the century haters in here, you know, on here, there is a great page where Thor is fighting century and he gives him a speech about how stupid he is about how he's allowed himself to be used by anyone that tries to use him, And then he snaps his neck. Nice. And that, <laughs> That's just in the middle of the book, and I'm reading it, and that was a beautiful scene. There's just something about the zoom in and the word crack on the screen over Sentry's neck that... <laughs> hey, we can always hope for a scene like that in Siege, couldn't That's we? That's right. In regular continuity, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, it just it was very satisfying. It's, uh, it's about as satisfying as seeing the crowbar hit Jason Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Hysteria. Uh, Paul, or not Paul, Wayne. Yeah. I, I, out of curiosity, what's your uh, favorite what if storyline of all time? Um, there were a couple that I really liked in the older series that I kept coming back to. I enjoyed the what if Wolverine had become Lord of the Vampires. I was about to mention that one. I loved that one. What if Phoenix had not died? That one was a two part one as well. Um, there was one where Punisher becomes Captain America that I remember enjoying too. But yeah, I'd have to go with the uh the Wolverine as Lord of the Vampires. My favorite was uh what if uh Silver Surfer had joined the Fantastic Four? Mm-hmm. I they remember that. The Fantastic Five. <laughs> and they all die horribly. I have apparently. I have uh, I I have two favorites and they're both from the original volume of uh of uh what if and it was I think I think it was actually even issue 1 was what if uh um uh, Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic 4 which yep. was a lot of fun yeah. and then also there was another one and it's it probably other people's least favorite from that run but it was what if the Fantastic 4 all had different powers and uh, Reed Richards, instead of being all stretchy and whatnot, he's big brain because he's just this disembodied brain. <laughs> there was also during that run, uh, what if Dr. Doom had joined the Fantastic yeah, Four? Yeah, that was good, too. Uh, what if the original Marvel bullpen had been the Fantastic Four? I, I have to say that is a nostalgic favorite. <laughs> sure, I mean, there, were, there were a lot of good ones. I mean, I liked uh, what if Wolverine was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah. Well, you know, what I like from that original run of What If was that it didn't necessarily have to be what if this story ended differently. It was what if this happened over here, you know, and it could be completely, you know, not relating to a story device. 
Because yeah. so many times in the, in the second volume of What If, they spent so much time explaining what the variance was, you know? And so you didn't really have kind of an immediate story. You had a story where it was just told very quick because they were trying to, you know, get it into 22 pages or, or, or just a few more than that. And the great thing about the second run, though, was that they really spent a lot of time with any character can die. Yeah. So it's the stuff that you kind of always wanted to see in the big fights, characters dying left and right, mm-hmm. that they would never do in an actual book. That's what you were getting in What If. It wasn't gratuitous death most of the time. Yeah. Sometimes it was. But it was the only book you could see Wolverine actually die in. Yeah. Jean Grey, you see her die in every book. She just I, I would have to disagree with you. I have seen Wolverine die in a book. It's called X-Men Forever. Go, go, Chris Claremont. (laughs) (laughs) So, Paul, did you have a favorite what-if story? You know, I I loved the Wolverine. Uh, What if he was uh, Lord of the Vampires during Inferno? Um, I liked what if the Punisher family hadn't been killed? Yeah. Uh, I I had a lot, you know, uh, the 89, like early 90s run, Mm -hmm. I I had a lot of those. Like I said, the I really liked Wolverine. What if Wolverine was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I really liked that one. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. And what if Daredevil killed the Kingpin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, there were so many good, you know, and I'm looking at mycomicshop.com. I'm like, damn, do they have a trade of this somewhere? Because these were great stories. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's one I really liked. What if Captain America had led an army of super soldiers in World War II? There was another one. What if Captain America had, is like, had not been revived until today? So he's not there at the founding of the Avengers. That's not a bad. Oh, and this because uh, I I loved the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. They had uh, what if Silver Surfer possessed the Infinity Gauntlet? That one was really good. Mm-hmm. There were so many good ones. I, I'm surprised looking back on it now. And you know, I guess you run out of uh, what ifs that you can do, but uh, there were a ton of good ones. And you know, yeah. I heard I heard Tom Brevoort talking about that in an interview not too long ago, and and he was saying, yeah, you you know, you kind of run out of what ifs, and I don't think you do. I think you just run out of the ones that immediately come to mind, you know, because everyone wants to write the what if Secret Invasion or what if Civil War, you know. But I I, th- I think there's a lot more interesting, and you treat it more like an Elseworlds, you know. Yeah, and I think that's the problem with the what if series that they do now, having them be a couple of you know a couple of one shots, is that. They don't focus on the story. They have multiple stories in it. Right. So you don't actually get to give the one story justice. You get right. little clips of multiple ones. I agree. Yeah, and no, they, I think it's got safe that. to say that uh, the best what if of all time was Age of Apocalypse. I don't think I read I didn't that. know they did one. I remember. No, it, oh, you mean you the, the story? The, the actual Age of Apocalypse? It, they did yeah, I mean, do a what it, if. It, it pretty much was a... It pretty much was yeah. a... What if? I mean, if you think about it, so I I loved. I thought Age of Apocalypse was great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you I don't know if you heard this from the from the first time I was on Jonathan, but that's actually what got me into comics. It was the very first comic book I ever purchased was X Man number one during the Age of Apocalypse. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) I liked X Man (laughs) because I mean I had I had. I'd been reading comics, I think, I think by that point, when did Age of Apocalypse come out? 96? 91, I thought. No. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was, Age of it was 95, 96, 95. something there, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I had been reading comics, at that point I had been reading comics for about five years. Um, so, 
you you have to because I always wanted them to do like Age of Apocalypse. I thought it would be cool as an animated movie or something. But at the same time, it's like for a general audience, if you're not if you're not invested in the characters, and I find this when I try to explain to people Age of Apocalypse who aren't comic book readers, uh, they don't get the impact. Like having Beast be this you know Joseph Mangle esque psycho, and you know. Cyclops and and uh, and uh, Havoc working for Mister Sinister and and you know it, if you're not if you're not already invested in the characters you don't the impact isn't as much as as uh, like in your case you you had picked up so that was your that was your introduction so yeah, I mean I knew the characters though I mean I had been uh, I had been a big fan of the cartoons I had, you know I had a few I had exposure to comics before that where I'd read a few things. But that was the first one I actually bought was X Man number one, and you know, mind you, since then I have a I have a collection four or five thousand now, so I more than made up for it over time, and I've gone back and read all the major storylines I could get a hold of. But yeah, that was my introduction. Was I'm reading it, and I'm like, this isn't making a lot of sense. What's going on here? And then I went out and started picking up everything related to that. I mean, now that I think about it too, I mean, I did uh, before that. I had some of the Executioner song stuff. I had a lot of that, but I don't remember actually buying it myself, so I don't know how I got it. I like that stuff, too. Yeah. All those big X-Men crossovers back then, I really loved. Uh, but they weren't quite as frequent as they are right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was really young when, when I read Age of Apocalypse, obviously. Uh, so I wasn't really aware of what was going Like, no one around me read comics. There was no internet at that point so i i didn't know that this was a event and that it would come to an end so as far as i was concerned you know i had started with with uh with the the chris claremont jim lee run of x-men and this was just the progression of like i was like i guess this is just how it is now right because i wasn't reading any other titles so i wasn't even aware that that the marvel universe had stopped for that event so I was just like, I guess this is this is the X Men now. So it, was, it impacted me a lot when it when I first read it. I was like, wow. Yeah, I wish they would have never gone back to Age of Apocalypse in the last couple of years and tried to to recapture that because as much as I love those original stories, that's how much I hated the revisit. Well, clearly we've got a lot of love here for Age of Apocalypse. Maybe we need to do a special Age of Apocalypse show. I like it. I like yeah. that idea. Yeah. Does that mean I have to be a good guy? <laughs> yes. So, uh, Paul, yeah. what, do we got, what do we got coming up uh, this week on uh, ideologyofmadness.com? Well, we've got a couple of big things coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, this Wednesday, we have our big interview with Marv Wolfman. Excellent. Yes. And we've currently got a contest going on. Aaron, do you want to tell them a little bit about that? Five lucky contestants will have an opportunity to win uh, the hardcover of Malice. It is part novel, part graphic novel. It is by art, by writer Chris Wooding. It's a beautiful book. Uh, you can read about it on the website. Just uh, click under contests and you'll find it. Uh, all you got to do is uh, go to the blog article and tell us about the monster living under your bed, and we'll be giving away five copies of the hardcover of Malice. Awesome, awesome. And uh, I have two contest announcements. Um, one 
is the winner of the Black Lantern rings or the uh you know the the, the set of what did you call them Aaron? The Light Brigade wing. The rings. Light Brigade rings. That'll come after our ending credits. Ooh, is they going to make them wait a little bit longer? A little bit longer. <laughs> so you have to listen to even more. And the next is our announcement of our next big contest. For the Light Brigade rings, you had to basically comment on any of our shows during November, right? Uh, on ideologyofmadness.com or leaving a message on Twi- on uh, iTunes. Our December contest, same rules. Are you ready for this one? They have to go back and do all this in November, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for the next big contest, for any of our podcasts, any of our episodes that drop in December, uh, same rules. Um, leave a message, uh, you know, leave a comment on ideologyofmadness.com or iTunes is for a signed and numbered hardcover edition of Razzle by Jeff Smith. Um, Only 2,000 copies were made. Oh, wow. And it's a beautiful hardcover. And not only that, even better than that, I think, is for a limited edition print of Razzle, of art from Razzle, signed and numbered by Jeff Smith, that only 150 copies were made of. Hot damn. So it's a great prize package. And it is only available if you leave a comment on our podcast, like I said, at either ideologyofmadness.com or on iTunes. And it's any podcast, any episode um, during the month of December. All right. Well, anything else, boys? I am proud to say that Funny Books this week is longer than this week's Kick the Dice Bags. Yeah. I'm I'm already sitting here going, damn. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking, you know, before the week, earlier this week when I was working on the outline, I'm like, Aaron, uh, we're going to try to keep this to an hour, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I remember Aaron saying last week that this was going to be a short week comics-wise and there was not much to pick up. And (laughs) You can't believe anything I say. Next week is a short week, though. I don't have a lot next week. I I only have about 20 bucks. I haven't even looked at next week. (laughs) All right, guys, because I don't want to edit any more of this than I need to. Have a nice day. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. from Funny Books with Aaron and Polly with the announcement of the winners of the Light Brigade Ring Contest. And that's right, I did say winners because uh, thanks to some help from our local Funny Book shops, we actually have two sets of rings to give away. Um, And the winners are Jim Brown, uh, who goes by WintGen on Twitter. Um, Jim not only commented on the podcast, but also linked to the podcast on Twitter. Thanks, Jim. Uh, 
we will be in contact to uh, get you your full set of rings. And the other winner, oddly enough, um, is Jason Brown. Uh, hopefully it's not the same guy under two different names. Um, and Jason Brown commented on our podcast on the episode uh, The Dead Are Rising Anywhere, which dropped on November 9th. So congratulations, Jim and Jason. Uh, I'll send you an email out this week to get your addresses so we can get you your full set of rings. <laughs> 